0: like the way I Make should be yours, yours. We the way I
1: Now, the far left, the U.N. funded, the foreign of Chinese. Technical difficulties, anyone? I was trying to find a clip. The bells are here. So I shared a channel that I found called, uh, run by a guy named Kodak. And um, this channel only has 4,000 subscribers with the most insane music. And the reason I decided to share his uh, musical interludes and I told him, Hey, yo, I'm going to be showcasing your shit now is because I, you know, you know, I've always told you, you know, with with Mike Cernovich, I like him because I understand him and uh, he's uh, very transparent. He actually posted something on Instagram. He said, why doesn't everyone go on a diet for music in the sense of uh, listen to music with no words for 30 days. And then, reintroduce those words. That's pretty good. That was pretty good. So um, I'm going to play a few of his pieces today, which are pretty awesome. Where do we start today? We're going to talk about two different things. I think it's important that we do, but uh, the one thing we should um, listen to is the uh, NRA conference uh, that is happening Kind of like I said, it was such a freaking coincidence that President Trump was speaking at the NRA conference in Texas and, um, you know, the shooting happened. I'm not saying the shooting didn't happen. I'm not saying it did happen. What I'm saying is regardless if you believe it happened or not, if they're dead people or not, whatever you may subscribe to, the bottom line is the narrative is that all these children were murdered, sacrificed. And someone has to ask themselves, why was this allowed to happen? This is the sick state of our nation right now. Take a listen to what the NRA had to say about it. It's pretty interesting.
2: NRA members know that to be true. There are absolutely certain things we can and must do. Where we part ways with the president and many in his party is on the policy question and what we can and should do to prevent the hate-filled, vile monsters who walk among us from committing their evil. Restricting the fundamental human right of law-abiding Americans to defend themselves is not the answer. It never has been. Each year, over one million law-abiding men and women use a firearm to save their own lives and the lives of their loved ones. That is over 1 million innocent Americans every year who owe their lives and the lives of their loved ones to their Second Amendment rights. Taking away their right to self-defense is not the answer, but there are certain common sense things we can and we must do. We need to protect our schools because our children deserve at least and in fact, more protection than our banks, stadiums, and government buildings. They are our most. (laughs) They are our most treasured and precious resource. And they deserve safety and protection that's why the nra launched our school shield program to help promote and fund the necessary security that every school child needs and deserves that's why we help train school security assessors who play a vital role in improving the security and safety of every child from when they get off the bus in the morning to when the final bell rings at the end of the day. We also need to fully fund our nation's police departments and school security resource officer (laughs) programs so that every school has a comprehensive security program tailored specifically to that school to meet its security needs. And that's why we, as NRA members, work so hard to support and train our men and women in law enforcement and a security profession. We also need to fully fund and fix our nation's broken mental health system. We need to put violent felons in prison where they belong. and put an end to the revolving door justice system that spits criminals back under the streets and greases the skids for the next horrific crime. And finally, to quote the late President Ronald Reagan, we must reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than the lawbreaker. It's time to restore the American precept that each individual is accountable for his actions. And that's why we, the NRA, will never ever stop fighting for the right of the innocent and the law abiding to defend themselves against the evil criminal element that plagues our society because we know there can be no freedom, no security, no safety without the right of the law-abiding to bear arms for self-defense. As we gather Put an end to the revolving door justice system that spits criminals back under the streets and <laughs> greases the skids for the next horrific crime. And finally, to quote the late President Ronald Reagan, we must reject the idea that every time a law is broken, society is guilty rather than the lawbreaker. It's time to restore the American precept that each individual is accountable for his actions. And that's why we, the NRA, will never ever stop fighting for the right of the innocent and the law-abiding to defend themselves against the evil criminal element that plagues our society because we know there can be no freedom, no security, no safety without the right of the law-abiding to bear arms for self-defense. As we gather, we know the eyes of the nation The eyes of history are upon us. And that's a good thing. Because every American deserves to know the truth about who we are and what we believe. So please, help me out here. Let's give America a real clear view. How about any firefighters, paramedics, or first responders. Any active military, please stand and remain standing. Any veterans, please stand and remain standing. And let us recognize you this Memorial Day weekend. Anyone who works in health care in any way, doctors, nurses, any teachers, if you work in education, please stand and remain standing. If you work in manufacturing, construction, please stand up. And if you work in any trade, maybe a truck driver, a plumber, or an electrician. And and how about stay-at-home moms who work harder than most people ever give them credit for? If you own your own business, stand up. Any professionals, accountants, executives, law? Are you a law-abiding gun owner? Please stand up and be recognized. We here today, and millions more like us, are patriotic Americans, the heart and soul of this country. We love our nation. We love our children, grandchildren, friends, and family. And that's why we will always value, cherish, and protect our fundamental human right to defend ourselves, our communities, and our loved ones with our Second Amendment right to bear arms. Thank you, and God bless all of you.
1: Well, that was pretty incredible, wasn't it? He did a fantastic job. And, uh, you know, I put an article today, just so you guys know, I had a ton of meetings with a ton of people within um, our online uh, communities. And literally, I've never sat so long. Like I have been prepping my dinner for the past three hours. I haven't even put it in. So I'm just going to eat after the show and stay up late. But um, what's important for people to understand <laughs> is that in that article, I already told you exactly what's going on here. So think of it this way. The only people that aren't allowed to defend themselves are the people that are owned by their masters. Uh, I'm going to talk about this more and show you how other nations are like, well, we're living in a free society and we have no guns, but those that govern you do have guns, but they can put you down faster than you can blink and you can't do shit. The second amendment wasn't to defend us from some guy snooping through our window, right? Defend us from a government that seeks to kill us, to sequester us, to annihilate us and to enslave us. But, you know, they've already enslaved us. We just don't know it yet. Well, we're starting to see it now. And no one says that we're going to take arms because that is a big deal taking a life. See, conservatives and patriots and sound human beings do understand the responsibility of holding a gun. They will not point it at someone because they know, they know that you will take someone's life. And the only time someone would ever consider taking another's life is when they're fighting for their own. And see, the left, though, doesn't mind about killing people. People should be terminated, jailed, babies should be killed, and uh, people are unnecessary to them. They bring examples like the United Kingdom, Australia, and other nations that have no guns. How are they going to defend themselves when someone storms into their house? to kill them because they said the wrong thing about the government or because they didn't take the vaccine or they're considered a health hazard. Who said we did? Fuck you. You're dead. We need some human fertilizer. (laughs) Such a weird law that states would pass, right? Most people would definitely take arms and use them to protect their children. So it's so bizarre that, you know, obviously the timing of all of this with the shooting. And see, people miss the whole thing yes, there are red flags, false flags, everything about this smells. The police didn't do their job. Why were these people there? How did it happen? What did they do? And we're going to look through some of that and speak to the mistakes made or not mistakes made or what was going on and who was confused, who thought this was fake, who thought this was real because it was actively happening. And again, what we should look to is not the details, oh, look, this person was in Sandy Hook, too, and that, and they're pushing these pictures, and they're going, let's do this. Let's accept the fact that something happened. Could have been staged, could be a whole script with people coming out and talking, child actors on TV, everything. Or it could indeed be that all these children were sacrificed. Oh, they love sacrifices, you know, to evil. Or it could just be that this demented person somehow got credit Somehow went there and shot the place up and did whatever. Whichever it may be, the narrative is that children died and people should be mourning for that. And if you don't think children died, you should be mourning for the state of your nation right now. It is one of the biggest train wrecks right now happening. And instead of people trying to figure out they're trying to see how they can gun grab but also put kids on the system and then while we're thinking they're doing red flag laws for guns you're so dumb is a socialist credit score see we're going to walk through that because we're going to end the show talking about the digital currencies see that's how it works mocking the new york Times guy asking stupid questions and speaking for America, he self-declared himself the representative of America, demanding that the White House investigate the manufacture of the guns. So now, if you're a person that drinks or you bought a bottle of Johnny Walker and you're going to rent the car, you will be denied access to that by the consumer because then Hertz or Enterprise will be held accountable for renting you a vehicle when you bought Johnny Walker last night because that means you drink. And you know what? This person has had drunk and disorderly behavior 10 years ago. He's not allowed to drive. He's not an eligible consumer. He will be an eligible consumer only for bicycles and roller skates and public transport and Ubers. You see, this is how it goes. The control that they're doing is not specific for guns, it's for everything. And almost anyone can put you on any list. I hope you guys read the article to see what you have missed. Representative Gonzalez from Texas went out and said that this boy was arrested four years ago for plotting, uh, you know, this mass murder with bombs and shit. No, it wasn't him. You know, Texas Rangers already said it wasn't him. State troopers said it wasn't him. So why is he saying it was him? Because, you know. We need juvenile records unsealed. We need the kids on the system. We need to make sure that they're not in harm's way and have had access to radical ideas like defending themselves or learning how to use weapons. This is exactly it. It is exactly it. Now, moving along, I want us to see President Trump's speech, you know, the one that was riddled with precursor of shootings, of course. Here we go. <laughs>
3: Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody.
0: Thank
3: you. Well, thank you, Wayne, and thank you, Jason. I'm honored to be here in the great state of Texas with the wonderful patriots of the NRA. And unlike some, I didn't disappoint you by not showing up to show up. For more than 150 years, the NRA has stood strong and tall in defense of our rights, our freedoms, our families, our law enforcement officers, and our sacred liberties as Americans. And together, we're going to be standing strong and tall for many, many years to come. I really do appreciate this incredible turnout. I want to express my tremendous gratitude to each and every one of The proud citizens here today you are the backbone of our movement and you are the backbone of our country you know that i just heard him he made a wonderful speech ted cruz senator where are you thank you very much ted thank you very much great job governor christy noem is here christy thank you Doing a fantastic job in North Carolina. This is a hot politician. He's a hot politician. Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. I don't know where you are, Mark. I don't know where Mark is, but he is fantastic. We just had a very good day, as you know, in North Carolina. As we gather this week, citizens across this state and across this nation are filled with grief in the wake of the heinous massacre of Rob Elementary School in Uvalde. You know all about that and what a horrible, horrible thing it was to see it, to watch it, to hear about it. The terrible murder of 19 innocent children and two adult teachers with many badly injured was a savage and barbaric atrocity that shocks the conscience of every. Single American, so horrible. I want to ask for a brief moment of silence as I read the names of these beautiful people, all young, wonderful, lives ahead of them. They're brave teachers whose lives were destroyed by an out-of-control lunatic. So So we'll we'll start. start. In
1: 2021, I told you, When you hear the bells, hell's bells, it begins. This is the start of what I said was coming. And obviously, since we're here, nothing can stop what's coming.
3: Alexandria Rubio. Aletha Ramirez. Amory Garza, Annabel Guadalupe Rodriguez, Eliana Cruz Torres, Ellie Garcia, Jacqueline Cazares, Jayla Nicole. Silguro Jace Lovarnos Jose Flores Leila Salazar McKenna Lee Elrod Maitai Rodriguez and Mathis, Nevea Bravo, Mojillo Torres, Tess Marie Mata, Ozia Garcia, Javier Lopez, two great and beautiful brilliant teachers, Eva Morales, Irma Garcia.
1: So I guess a moment of silence with some prayer was important. But for those of you out there that question people, question things, And understand that what if someone had knowledge of all this to come? How do they sleep? And why don't they just come out and tell you? So in November of 2020, in October, actually, of 2021, if I would have said, Hey, there's going to be like this massive massacre, totally timed because they're deploying their digital currencies. They're tipping shit on their head and they want the social credit score and they will go after you and you're shadow to them. And if there is a shooting, so, so be it. And your federal tax dollars are going to fund it. First of all, it would be the same scenario that happened to me with the Mandan massacre. I would have investigators calling me saying, how did you know that one of them was sliced up from throat to crotch? And how did you know one of them was nearly decapitated from a Colombian necktie? Oh, do you have knowledge? Were you there? Did you plan it? See, this is why you don't speak. Because then you get idiots like Matto not understanding what predictive analytics is and making fun of time traveling. And when I say humans rather than machines counting votes, they add in the reptilian to make you look nuts. So again, there are a lot of things that, oh, I would love to say. But how can I say something that's so atrocious? You know, people need to look at receipts. And this is why the article I put out is we should be asking the correct questions. Rather than going down the rabbit holes. Rather than saying this was all staged. Yes, it may have been. Shit ton of money goes into that little town. And it happens that the gun shop is owned by a old money, former governor, Jesus. Like then you have the police coming out with things. And that's what we're going to watch before we get back to what president president Trump had to say, because you need to see it unfold to understand it. You need to see and understand what they're going at and what they're trying to do while it was fun to watch, you know, This idiot reporter from the New York Times. And in fact, it was very well-timed. And I told you that Crenshaw and that other, Cornyn, what's his name? Didn't show up and, you know, why? So our second amendment is out the window because shooting happened? Well, your digital currency will be programmed to tell you if you're allowed to buy weapons and ammunition because your shadow. They can annihilate you whenever they want. They can lock you up, round you up. I mean, there's still people in prison for J6. nonviolent, just simply walking in there. (laughs) They're going to be their new superstars. I mean, look, Manning walked in a man, walked out a woman. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Pretty simple. But you need to listen to what they say about it. You need to hear what they're telling you. The timelines they're putting together, the conversations they're having, and how they're confronting the police officers, which is questionable, but you can break down what he says. That makes sense, too. They were told to stand down. They were not prepared for something like this, and they did the best they could, apparently. Nope. They didn't unlock the door because at this point it was the hostage uh, is since he's shot everyone up and we can't help people except for open up and then it'll be guns a blazing and maybe run out and kill more people. We're going to sequester it. But why don't you go in there? There's people dying. Yeah. And these are decisions people make that they can regret that, that they could do wrong. They can make mistakes. People can make mistakes. When mitigating circumstances, I'm pretty sure all of us have. But there are questions too. Here's a clip from CNN.
4: Try and break through that That door you say was locked. What efforts were the officers making to try and break through either that door or another door to get inside that classroom?
5: None at that time. The the on-scene commander at the time believe that it had transitioned from an active shooter to a barricaded subject.
4: You have people who are alive, children who are calling 911, saying, please send the police. They are alive in that classroom. There are lives that are at risk. Hey, we're, we're, protocol, well, is we're, it? we're well aware of that. Right. right. Yeah. But Why was this decision made not to go in and rescue these children?
5: Again, you know, the on-scene commander considered a barricaded subject and that there was time and there were no more children at risk obviously obviously you know based upon the information we have there were children in that classroom that were at risk and it was in fact still an active shooter situation and not a barricaded subject there was 19 officers in there in fact there was plenty of officers to do whatever needed to be done with one exception is that the the incident commander inside believed they needed more equipment and more officers to do a tactical breach at that point that's why bortac was requested on the scene as soon as they were there they executed they searched at or at least a, a dynamic entry and went in and uh of course that was not the 12 that was not the 12 hey hey, I, hey I, with the hey with the hey with the benefit of hey with the benefit of hindsight hey the benefit of hey stand by stand by hey Stand by. Hey, stand by, right? I got it. I got it. Okay. Hey, from the for the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, that of course it was not the right decision. It was the wrong decision, period. There's no, no excuse for that. But again, I wasn't there, but I'm just telling you, from what we know, and we believe, there should have been a, an entry at that as soon as you can. Hey, when there's an active shooter, the, the rules change. It's no longer, okay? It's no longer a barricaded subject. We don't have time. You don't worry about outer primers. And by the way, Texas embraces active shooter training, active shooter certification. And that, that, doc, that doctrine requires officers. We don't care what agency you're from. You don't have to have a leader on the scene. Every officer lines up, stacks up, goes and finds where those rounds are being fired at, and keeps shooting until the subject is dead, period. <laughs>
6: Seven words that will the- forever, forever haunt the community of Evaldi, Texas, of course it was the wrong decision. Of course, it was the wrong decision. That from Corporal Stephen McGraw, the director of the Texas Department of Public Safety right there in a 40 plus minute news conference in which he, to his credit, laid out the haunting timeline of what happened at the Robb Elementary School. Uh, He said the shooter went in. He said that police followed him in soon after. There were 911 calls, including from young children inside the classroom saying there were kids alive. There were shots being fired. The local school district police chief was outside the door. He determined it was no longer an active duty situation. He did not order his men to break through the door. Of course, it was the wrong decision. Corporal McGraw going on to say it was the wrong decision, period. There's no excuse for that. CNN's Shimon Prokopas live on the scene for us. Shimon, we have for a couple of days, uh, wanted the truth, wanted the facts, wanted the specific timeline. We just got it, and it is damning, it is haunting, and for 21 families, it is devastating.
4: It is very devastating, and now you know why the police were hesitating and why they were sort of giving us the runaround, because now we have the facts, and they're not good. Uh, They're not good for the police here. They're not good for anyone, law enforcement. uh, The decision to not go inside that classroom was a deadly decision. Uh, Children were inside calling nine one one saying asking asking where are the police and they were not there they were outside in the hallway um, or somewhere in the building but they were not in there that's what uh, the uh, director here of the DPS and you know what credit to him he finally came to the podium and he finally took some questions and he admitted that this was a screw up uh, that they should have gone in uh, That's why I was asking, John, who was in charge of this? Who was in charge of this operation? And he told us it was the chief of police of the uh, school police here. It's a very small police department. You're talking about four police officers, a detective, uh, a chief of police, and a security guard. So now we have to start asking questions about the training, uh, security. Why wasn't the resource officer here? He should have been here, uh, according to... Uh, to the director here. So a lot of mistakes, a lot of grave mistakes. A door was left open. The gunman was able to go inside that door. He was able to get inside the school. And of course, everyone's going to say, what if? And for the parents, that is probably something that is on on their minds now, every second of the day, as they learn Mm. this information. Presumably at the same time, We, the media, the public, was learning of this terrible, terrible mistake, John.
6: Uh, I want to walk through, and I apologize to any family members watching. I apologize to any parents watching. Uh, I have a 10-year-old. That's my youngest. These pictures every day um, just kick me back. Uh, But I want to go through some of the timeline because the shooter, Shimon, uh, Kerpel McGraw said, was in the building. Uh, 12.03, a one-minute and 23-second phone call from room 112 talking about it. At 12.10, called back. There are nine dead, Uh, eight or nine at 1216, a callback. There are eight or nine still alive right there. If you stopped right there, if there was communication on the scene from the 911 to the officers on the scene, even if the commander believed the chief believed it had transitioned away from an active shooter situation, Corporal McGraw laid it out plainly and clearly that would trigger going back into the active shooter right there. Once you hear eight or nine still alive, it is the obligation is the protocol to line up in a stack, and to storm that door. It did not happen. Then at 1221, during a 911 call, they heard three more shots. At 1236, another phone call. At 1247, another phone call, please send the police now. And on that call, someone saying they could hear the police next door. So you have a horrific, deadly judgment error by the chief of police, but there are also questions about what about the real-time communication between the phone center, the 911 calls, and the police on the scene. Uh, Why was not that galactically bad judgment call reversed by the real-time evidence they were getting that there were still shots being fired, there were children dead in that room, but there were still children alive? We don't know, John. We don't know
4: why. If they had the capability to do that, they should. This is not uncommon uh, in police departments all across the country. They're getting real-time information in a situation where people are hiding from a gunman. That is critical information to law enforcement, in part because law enforcement, when they go into a school, when they go into a building, they know where to find people. They know that people are alive. That is critical information that clearly uh, was not relayed to the officers on the scene. Uh, And what this chief of police based this decision on, that it would be better to wait, that perhaps that people may have been already either dead. Clearly that was not the case because there were 911 calls being made by people inside saying, send the police. Where are the police? So that chief of police is not here. So we couldn't ask him. Uh, You could see that the the way things work here in Texas, my understanding is the DPS kind of runs the show on these things. Uh, You could see that's why I wanted to talk to the FBI uh, because I want to know their feelings on this and what are they going to do about this. They study these kinds of Scenarios and this is going to be a case study uh, for law enforcement all across the country uh, And they will all agree that this was a terrible uh, Decision by the chief of police not to go in. So now the question is what happens next? Will there be accountability? Will someone be uh, Investigated for this and obviously how do you prevent this from happening again? And the decision of this chief? It's just unexplainable
6: And as you go through that, it it is obviously the chief is the commanding officer in there. And that has to take precedence in a situation like this. But one of the things Corporal McGraw went through uh, is that he was talking about there are officers outside who parents were obviously pleading with those officers. We've seen the video. We've talked to the parents. If you won't give me your vest, let me go in. Uh, Parents were pleading. But the chief said there were 19 officers in the building. And again, words that will haunt the community and especially those 21 families. Plenty to do what needed to be done. In other words, 19 officers inside, plenty to stack and go through that door if necessary. What I don't understand and I don't think was answered, please tell me if I'm wrong about this, is if there were 19 officers in the school and there were still shots being fired, how did they not hear it? How did they not know that what, let's assume they initially believed it had transitioned from an active shooter situation to a shooter barricaded in a room and it was not the quote unquote vital emergency to storm? How did they not hear that? 19 officers in a school, a shooter firing an AR-15 style rifle. How did you not hear that?
4: That's a great question, John, and I'm sure they heard it. You know, yesterday, uh, the lieutenant here told us that they were taking cover. The officers were taking cover. Uh, you have children, people alive inside a room where there is gunshots. Officers are trained to go towards the gunfire and if that means you have to take a bullet for someone that is your job and i think dps here the head the colonel here spoke about that he said that is our job right we protect and serve and that did not happen here clearly
1: well that didn't happen well defund the police as well let's just throw that into the mix too but here's where you're going to hear something quite chilling brace yourself
7: to the family of 11-year-old Mia Strio, who was wounded in the fourth grade classroom. Mia wants the world to know what she saw, what she lived through. But Mia is so scared of men right now because of what happened that she only feels comfortable speaking with women. She also did not want to go on camera. She did agree to speak with my partner, CNN producer Nora News. Nora, you were in with Mia and her mother. I want to make clear her mother was there the whole time. What did she tell you?
8: So 11-year-old Mia Sirio was in that fourth grade classroom that we've heard so much about with Ms. Garcia and Ms. Morales. She said they were watching Lilo and Stitch because it was the end of the school year. They'd finished their lessons. And she said one of her teachers got an email that there was a shooter in the building and went to the door and he was right there. And they made eye contact. The shooter made
7: eye contact with the teacher.
8: teacher, And then he shot out the window in the door. Um, And then Mia says it just happened also fast. He backed the teacher into the classroom. um, And he made eye contact with the teacher again, looked her right in the eye and said, good night. And then shot her and killed her.
7: He said good night before he he shot her.
8: Good night. And then it happened pretty fast after that as well. He started open firing in the classroom. He hit the other teacher, a lot of Mia's friends. Um, at that point, Mia was hit by uh, fragments of the of the bullets. You could even see them yesterday. I mean, on her back, on her shoulders, the back of her head.
7: The shooter then, she says, went into the adjoining classroom.
8: Yeah, so he went through this this door to the adjoining classroom. And at that point, Mia could hear screams. Um, she heard a lot more gunfire. Um and then she said she heard music. Um, she thinks it was a gunman that, that put it on. Um, he started blasting sad music. And I asked her, like, what was that? Like, what kind of music? What, what do you mean by that? And she said, she just said, it, it sounded like I want people to die music.
7: Ugh. She said she heard music. She said it sounded like I want people to die music. Uh-huh. What did Mia do then?
8: So she had a friend next to her um, that she was pretty sure was already dead and was laying on the ground bleeding out. Um, and she put her hands in her friend's blood um, and then smeared it, she said, all over her body. Um, she wanted to seem like, she wanted to look like she was dead. She was scared that the gunman was going to come back through that adjoining door back into the classroom um, and she wanted to be able to play dead.
7: She also told you that she called 911.
8: Yeah, so after she smeared the, bre- the blood all over her body, she and a friend went and were able to take the phone off of one of the teachers who had already been killed. And they called 911, and they were actually able to make contact with the dispatcher. And they talked to a dispatcher for a little while and, and told them what was going on inside. And Mia kept saying, telling me that she kept saying, uh, we're in trouble, we're in trouble, like, please come, please come, we're in trouble.
7: One of the interesting things you told me is that Mia said to you, that she felt like it all lasted for three hours.
8: Yeah, she was like, oh, yeah, I was in there for three hours. And her mom said, well, sweetheart, I think it was closer to one hour, but I'm sure it felt that way.
7: And what did Mia think the police were doing during this time?
8: She said she thought the police just hadn't gotten there yet, that somehow they just weren't there yet. And she said, you know, she'd been pretty stoic up until this point in the interview. Um, and this was actually when she started getting emotional and started crying. She said, I heard the grown-ups later say the police were outside and that they weren't coming in. And she got emotional talking to me about this and said, you know, I, why well, I weren't, why didn't they come in? Why didn't they save us? Why, why the police were outside? Like, what? just she just like couldn't, it was clear in her 11 old brain, I mean, in my brain, why they wouldn't come in and help and, and save her.
7: So again, you, you spent some time with her and her mother. She's obviously just been through the worst thing, hopefully, that she'll ever go through in her entire life. You know, How did she seem to you? How did she look to you?
8: Honestly, not great. Um, she seems completely traumatized. Um, physically, she's mostly okay. She has these bullet fragments all over the back of her shoulders and her back and, and the back of her head. Um, she said overnight, a lot of her hair fell out and um, just kind of big clumps from where the bullet fragments had hit. So she's bummed about that, um, but just, just I mean, completely traumatized. Um, and her parents are trying to uh, get her some kind of therapy help. And um, they'll probably have to drive her to San Antonio for that. And so they're uh, actually starting a GoFundMe page to pay specifically for, for that that therapy cost. Um, she said she keeps seeing what the bodies on the ground. And so that therapy, um, is going to be really important. So that GoFundMe is on, on the screen. I mean,
7: she's been through so much. She saw her teacher killed before her eyes. She saw her friends killed uh, before her eyes. I, I simply can't imagine. And then one other thing you, you told me that just gives us a sense of her state of mind right now. You, you have a, a alarm on your cell phone. Your alarm went off accidentally on your cell phone while you were talking to her. What happened?
8: I felt so bad. I mean... It, was, it just was an accident, and she just kind of, she clearly was uh, kind of triggered by that, um, and her mom said, you know, that's been happening a lot. They, they were at a car wash yesterday and went to vacuum out the car, and she it, it completely set her off. Um, she's not sleeping right now. Um, she's, you know, the whole interview, she brought a blanket with her, and the whole interview, she just was, like, covering herself in this blanket, and it was hot, but it felt like she just was trying to keep herself Cover. And
7: just to be clear, one last time, she really wanted, she wanted to talk. I mean, she wanted to, she didn't want to talk to a man, but she wanted to get her story out there. Why?
8: She kept saying that she wants to try to prevent this from other, from this happening to other kids, that she thought that if she talked to someone, if she did an interview, that maybe people would realize what it was really like to be in a school shooting and that maybe something would change and other kids wouldn't get hurt. And I kept saying, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to do this interview. Like this is up, you're in charge. This is your decision. But she kept saying, no, I really want to do this.
7: All right. Uh, Nora News, thank you for speaking with her. Uh, Thank you for telling us what she said. Please tell the family that we're thinking of them and we we appreciate, we, we appreciate them reaching.
1: So how did that story sound too? It sounds really weird. I mean, if my kids were in a shootout and my kid smeared itself with blood and was 11 years old and still in the fourth grade smearing blood on themselves as if they were very well trained, I don't know if I'd be going to a car wash to hoover out my car. It just sounds dumb unless it's really dirty and you're expecting meetings or guests, but you wouldn't put your kid through that. You'd probably go home and say, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, this is so crazy. Wait, but there's more. There's way more that you need to look at. You need to see the timeline of the 911 calls now that CNN is telling you. And the thing is, no one says this didn't happen, but uh, this seems kind of oddly orchestrated.
9: Lines today. Uh, Shimon just gave us, gave us a law timeline. There's also the 911 calls. Uh, weave those together and how this fits into this timeline.
10: Director McGraw gave a warning before he revealed that 911 timeline, telling it's better for him to read the timeline rather than allowing us to listen. The first call came from a panic teacher around 1130. The next call came from a girl in room 112. That was at three afternoon. That same person in room 112 calls back and says multiple people are dead. That's at 1210. And then she calls back again at 1213. At 1216, the girl in room 112 calls and says eight to nine students are alive. This is key. This is critical. At least eight to nine students are still alive. And then at 1219, a different caller calls 911. That person who called, according to Director McGraw, Someone in the room told that caller to hang up, and then the dispatcher heard several shots over the call. Around 1236, the girl from room 112 calls back. The operator is asking her to stay on the line, but be quiet. She says he shot the door, and it's important to underscore when she initially called, she was speaking in a whisper. So at 1243 p.m., that caller says, please send the police now. At 1246, she says it again. She said she could hear the police next door. Think about it. Children are taught at a young age to call 911 if there's trouble, if there's danger. Call 911, parents tell us. Help will be on the way. These callers are pleading for help. At 1247, the same thing. Please send the police now. At 1250, the shots are fired and they can be heard over the call. At 12.55 p.m., the 911 operator reports a locomotion saying it sounds like officers are moving children out of the room. That's at 12.55 p.m., nearly an hour and 20 minutes after that initial call from the panicked teacher. After revealing this timeline, Director McGraw was visibly shaken. This is how he responded.
5: Yeah, thanks a lot. You know, forget how I'm doing. What about the parents of those children? And you know, forget about me. Or by me or our officers and stuff like that? We take an oath, oath to uphold the law and protect people. I and mean, any time something tragic like that, we, we want to know why it happened and if we can do better next time. It's a bottom line.
10: Those students pleading for help as they dealt with that haunting ordeal. Allison, Um, tell
11: us about the digital footprint, Asia.
10: So we are getting a look at his digital footprint. Investigators, well, Director McGraw, I want to go back to him, said that he asked his sister to help him back in 2021. And we're going to show you this timeline on the screen as we go through it. And Director McGraw says his sister refused. Then in February 28th of this year, there was a group chat which discussed this 18-year-old being a shooter on Instagram. That's not where it ended. Let's flip the page and show you the next graphic where there's another group chat where in March he discussed buying a gun in that Instagram group chat. Two days later, he was asked if he was buying a gun, and he replied, just bought something R.N., on march 14th he posted 10 more days on instagram a user replied are you going to shoot up the school or something his response no stop asking dumb questions you'll see so chilling details we've been asking for the timeline my colleague shimon has been pressing for questions finally we got some of those answers and now these answers are most likely weighing heavy on parents who are now left with more questions. At what point could their child have been saved? All right. So we'll get into that dispelling
1: of the rumors, but it's important that, um, you know, we see how they respond to these things, right? So now let's go back to what President Trump had to say today. After the bells, hell's bells were told, um, we should see what President Trump had to say.
3: Thank you very much. It's a beautiful moment of silence for something that should never have even been thought about, let alone happened. Each precious young soul that was taken is an incomprehensible loss. Literally not comprehensible. Stolen from us by a malice that no words can describe. Sickness. The monster who committed this crime is pure evil, pure cruelty, pure hatred, absolute pure hatred. And while those he slaughtered are now with God in heaven, he will be eternally damned to burn in the fires of hell. As we mourn for so many beautiful victims, I know that everyone here joins me in praying for the families who are suddenly missing the brightest light in their lives. We see their agony. We ask God to ease their suffering and to heal their pain. And together we grieve side by side as one great American family. Now is the time to find common ground, sadly, before the sun Had even set on the horrible day of tragedy, we witnessed a now familiar parade of cynical politicians seeking to exploit the tears of sobbing families, to increase their own power and take away our constitutional rights. Every time a disturbed or demented person commits such a hideous crime, there's always a grotesque effort by some in our society to use the suffering of others. To advance their own extreme political agenda. Even more repulsive is their rush to shift blame away from the villains who commit acts of mass violence and to place that blame onto the shoulders of millions of peaceful law abiding citizens who belong to organizations such as our wonderful NRA. When Joe Biden blamed the gun lobby. He was talking about Americans like you, and along with countless other Democrats this week, he was shamefully suggesting that Republicans are somehow okay with letting school shootings happen. They're not okay with it. This rhetoric is highly divisive and dangerous, and most importantly, it's wrong. It has no place in our politics. As always, in the wake of these tragedies, the various gun control policies being pushed, by the left, would have done nothing to prevent the horror that took place. Absolutely nothing. Unfortunately, ever since Columbine, we've been afflicted by a contagion of school shootings carried out by deeply evil, violent, and mentally disturbed young men. While we don't yet know enough about this week's killing, we know there are many things we must do we need to drastically change our approach to mental health. There are always so many warning signs. Almost all of these disfigured minds share the same profile. When people see something, whether on social media or in school, they need to say something. Teachers, parents, school officials, and community members need to be recognizing and addressing these alarm bells promptly and very, very aggressively. And our school discipline systems, instead of making excuses and continually turning a blind eye, need to confront bad behavior head-on and quickly. And clearly we need to make it far easier to confine the violent and mentally deranged into mental institutions. We have also, very importantly, got to deal with the problem of broken families because no law can cure the effects of a broken home. There is no substitute for a strong mom and a great dad. But while we work to address these deep, complicated issues and deal with this scourge, all of us must unite, Republican and Democrat, in every state and at every level of government to finally harden our schools and protect our children. What we need now is a top-to-bottom security overhaul at schools all across our country. Every building should have a single point of entry. There should be strong exterior fencing, metal detectors, and the use of new technology to make sure that no unauthorized individual can ever enter the school with a weapon. No one should ever be able to get anywhere near a classroom until they have been checked, scanned, screened, and fully approved. So important. In addition, classroom doors should be hardened to make them lockable from the inside and closed to intruders from the outside. And above all... From this day forward, every school in America should have a police officer or an armed resource officer on duty at all times. Moreover, at every police department in America, we need a rigorous training on active shooter protocols to immediately locate and eliminate the target. Took too long. And we need to expand funding, recruiting, and training for police departments nationwide. This is not a matter of money. This is a matter of will. If the United States has $40 billion to send to Ukraine, we should be able to do whatever it takes to keep our children safe at home. Thank you. We spent trillions in Iraq, trillions in Afghanistan. We got nothing. Before we nation build the rest of the world, we should be building safe schools for our own children in our own nation, right? Last year alone, Biden and congressional Democrats sent $122 billion in so-called COVID relief funds to K through twelve schools, even while they were keeping many of our schools totally shut down, no doubt severely worsening the mental health challenge of many youth. I mean many of these young people really suffered very greatly. They became very ill. They may have been ill to start, but they became very, very ill. Congress immediately ...back from the states and use that money to quickly establish impenetrable security at every school all across our land. As many have noted, inner city schools rarely have these kinds of mass shootings. I didn't know that until just recently. Think of that. They rarely have this problem, despite being located in very tough neighborhoods, in many cases where there's tremendous levels of high crime and violence, they're much more dangerous outside the school than inside. The reason is that for decades, inner city schools have had much stronger security measures in place in the school itself, including metal detectors and, yes, armed guards. They had guns. Armed guards. (laughs) Whatever our differences may be on other issues, what on earth is stopping Democrats from immediately passing measures to ramp up school security? How many more tragedies will it take until they agree to set aside their far-left political agenda and do what is really needed and what actually works? This is not about virtue cycling and signing. This is about Blaming your enemies. No, we don't want to do that. This is about saving our children's lives. Yes, that's what we want to do. Surely we can all agree our school should not be the softest target. Our school should be the single hardest target in our country. And that's why, as part of a comprehensive school safety plan, it's time to finally allow highly trained teachers to safely and discreetly concealed carry. Let them concealed carry. And again, they have to be able to handle it. They have to be highly trained. All of those things, but let them do that. It would be so much better and so much more effective even from a cost standpoint because there is no sign more inviting to a mass killer than a sign that declares a gun free zone most dangerous place i know it sounds good and it really does doesn't it sound wonderful but it's not and statistically it's a total disaster gun free zone they look at that sign and they say that's where i'm going We cannot have that because if somebody goes into that building, all of those innocent people will be taken out, will be killed, will be tortured. Bad things will happen. Have to get rid of it. As the age-old saying goes, the only way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Have you ever heard that? No, you've never heard that. And in the absence of a member of law enforcement... There is no one you would rather have nearby when a crisis strikes than an armed, expertly trained member of the NRA. Let's not pretend that those on the left are just talking about limiting one class of gun or one category of ammunition. You know they're not doing that. We all know they want total gun confiscation know that this would be a first step once they get the first step they'll take the second step the third the fourth and then you'll have a whole different look at the second amendment which is by the way totally under siege but we stopped it for four years we stopped it and you've got to stop it you've got to stop it But even if every decent and honest American gave up their guns, the criminals would never give up theirs, and they never will. They're never going to give up theirs. They would wreak havoc like never before in our country. The fact is, there will always be sick and demonic souls who wish to harm the innocent and see malice triumph over good. I'm going to have that. But the existence of evil in our world is not a reason to disarm law-abiding citizens who know how to use their weapon and can protect a lot of people. The existence of evil is one of the very best reasons to arm law-abiding citizens. And that is why one of the core missions of the NRA is to train, prepare, and equip Responsible American men and women with the knowledge and tools they need to defend themselves, their families, and their communities. Have to defend their communities and their families. Every single year, the NRA's 125,000 certified instructors. These are highly trained, very, very capable people. They train an incredible one million Americans to be safer gun owners, ready to act when the situation calls. Incredible job. And every day that training is protecting the vulnerable and safeguarding the innocent. An estimated 500,000 to 2.5 million Americans each year use a firearm in self-defense, the vast majority without ever even having to fire a shot. Oftentimes they know you have it and they say, no, thank you. We're not going to we're not going to mess with her. In addition, according to newly released data from the FBI last year, there were not one, not two, not three, but four active shooters who were taken out by an armed civilian, bravely exercising their Second Amendment rights, saving countless innocent lives. That is what the Second Amendment is all about. We're honored to be joined today by a true Texas hero. The Sunday after Christmas in 2019... Veteran firearms instructor Jack Wilson was attending services at the West Freeway Church of Christ outside of Fort Worth. He saw a strange man enter the church, and after that, Jack never took his eyes off him, would not leave him. He knew something was wrong, right up until the man approached the person serving communion and pulled out a gun. Thankfully, after Texas passed a law allowing concealed carry... In places of worship, Jack had volunteered to lead his church's citizens' security team, and he knew what he was doing. Instantly, Jack and another congregant pulled out their firearms very quickly, very professionally. The shooter gunned down Jack's team member and then turned and killed the man serving Holy Communion. Amid the chaos, Jack had only an instant to take aim. He saw his chance and took out the shooter with a single perfect shot. Incredible. Come on up here, Jack. Come on up here, Jack. Stay right here. Stay right there, Jack. Thanks to Jack's sharp eye and swift action, the shooter was down within six seconds out from pulling his gun. Think of that, six seconds. And with more than 240 worshipers in the church, which perhaps all would be gone right now, Jack has saved the lives of an old, really an untold, Number of innocent people that he knew very well and he loved. Jack, we want to thank you for a job well done. We salute you, a true professional, a really great man. Jack, say a few words, Jack.
9: Thank each and every one of you. Again, thank you, President Trump, and you're still my president.
0: What yeah, my I president. did that
9: day was not for my glory. It was to save countless friends and family in that setting. I hope you're never put in that position, but understand if you are put in that position, you have to make that decision to do what is right. Not what somebody says. well, you shouldn't do that. No. I did not kill a human being that day. I took out evil. And, and just as what happened in Uvalde this week, that was evil. We have to deal with evil at all levels. You have to stand up and be prepared to protect and do what you have to do to stop evil in this country. Thank you.
3: Thank you very much, Jack. And as Jack's story reminds us, defending our Second Amendment is about defending law, order, and life. We know that as law and order conservatives, we have no higher goal than to reduce violent crime by the greatest degree possible. And there is no mystery as to what is required. Over the past two years, our nation has paid a horrifically bloody price for the Democrats defund the police rhetoric and their weak on crime policies. We have paid a big price. In every city where the left attacked the police, slashing funding, or hired radical prosecutors, violent crime has skyrocketed. Last year, 12 major cities hit all-time highs. This is the history of our country. All-time highs in record homicides. And this year is looking far, far worse, not even close. In Democrat-run Sacramento last year, a man with a long criminal history was released from jail on zero bail and wished wish that he would never have been put in jail. That was his wish. Weeks later, he broke into an innocent woman's home, sexually assaulted her, murdered her, killed her two dogs, and set her house on fire. This past February in New York, another horrible person with at least six prior arrests was released without bail before going on a stalking tour after a 35-year-old woman went into her apartment, stabbing her to death and leaving her body in the bathtub, and recently in Philadelphia, a thug murdered an innocent man walking his dog two weeks after being released on armed kidnapping and assault charges where he badly, badly hurt a number of people. The very same Democrat politicians who stoked riots over a single police involved killing two years ago are numb to the mounting death toll of their own radical policies. But we must not be. We cannot let that happen. Big city mayors like Lori Lightfoot in Chicago, Muriel Bowser in Washington, Jim Kenney in Philadelphia, watch the slaughter day in and day out and do absolutely nothing. But we must act. If America had a proper approach to policing, prosecuting and jailing, We could cut violent crime in our major cities by much more than half, and it would take place almost immediately. Under the greatest mayor in the history of New York, Rudy Giuliani, they cut violent crime by 58 percent and the murder rate by 66 percent in just a few years. And then it got better than that. And under our own administration, we significantly reduced violent crime three years in a row. We resurrected Project Safe Neighborhoods, bringing together prosecutors, police sheriffs, citizen groups to get dangerous felons off the streets and off the streets rapidly. We funded 200 new violent crime prosecutors with Operation Legend. We surged hundreds and hundreds of federal law enforcement officers to Democrat-run cities that you've heard so many horrible things about to put violent offenders behind bars where they belong. When they started knocking down statues in Washington, D.C. and other locations, I watched this in amazement. Lincoln, Jefferson, Washington, knocking them down. And I immediately signed an executive order which stated that anybody, even Lightly defaces a federal monument or statue, will get a minimum of 10 years in prison. 10 years. (laughs) And immediately upon signing it, everything stopped. Do you ever notice that? It all stopped. There was nothing. Didn't happen. Amazing, isn't it? I felt I had a political and moral obligation to allow Democrat mayors and governors to run their cities and states when it came to crime and riots and even horrible violence. In my own mind, I was allowing the Democrats to show how they would handle the situation, and when it got out of control, I got involved. I got our government energized. I called the National Guard and federal law enforcement, and we saved the cities of Minneapolis, Kenosha, Seattle, Chicago, and even Portland during some very, very bad times in those places. But then they wander back to the past. But if I ever do it again, namely run for president and win, I would no longer feel obligated to do it that way. I would crack down on violent crime like never before. Which is the way I would have liked to have done it the first time, but in a certain way, I'm glad I didn't. The easiest, simplest, most straightforward thing we can do to save thousands of American lives from violence is to hire more police, arrest more violent criminals, give them speedy trials and get them into jail. And we've now seen what the Democrats do when they're left to run the cities. So now it has to be done right. Over time, that will save tens of thousands of lives and billions and billions of dollars. Never forget the same people that are lecturing us about gun confiscation are the ones who are also taking cops off the street and letting criminals out of jail, knowing that it will get tens of thousands of Americans killed, and killed rather quickly, unfortunately. You really wonder, do the Democrats even care? Now, the radical left Democrats are continuing to push to abolish cash bail and to strip our police officers of their qualified immunity. Just this week, the Biden administration announced new policies threatening to hold law enforcement officers liable not only for their misconduct, but even for the misconduct of other officers, a totally destructive policy that will only make our communities less safe. What officer is going to get involved if they think they can lose everything, their family, their pension, everything? It's crazy what's going on, not even thinkable. If Democrats truly care about stopping the bloodshed in America... The Biden administration's war on police must end, and it must end right now. We will no longer defund. Thank you. We will no longer. (laughs) I knew it had to happen. Who is that man? Stand up, please. Who is that? had happen. We will no longer defund the police and we will no longer even mention defunding of the police. We will never mention it again. Great American heroes. And if allowed to do their job, they will do it like nobody else can. All of those crime statistics will be cut So, in such a big way. You'll be so proud. You'll be so proud to be an American when you see in Chicago When you see in Chicago 80 people shot, sometimes in a weekend, and many people dying, that's a war zone. When you see what's happening in other cities, it's just incredible. So you'd be proud to be an American. Under a new Congress next year, we should pass legislation strengthening qualified immunity for our police officers. We have to do that. Who would ever take a job without that? Think of it. Who would ever take a job? You ruin your life, have one bad story that may be made up because a lot of the stories are made up. One bad made up story and your life is over. A law enforcement, men and women do their duty to protect us and we must do our duty to protect them. have to do it. Earlier this week, the law enforcement officer who stopped the Texas shooters' rampage was reportedly a member of the group. Joe Biden has most viciously betrayed and demonized the heroes of Border Patrol. He was very brave. Every day, our amazing Border Patrol agents and ICE officers are risking their lives to keep our community safe. And when we regain control of Congress... We must do that. Please remember that. We can stop socialism and communism at one time. Wouldn't that be nice? We will once again give these great patriots the authority, the resources, and the respect they need and dearly deserve. They need this. They have to have it. But we need it. We need it more than they do. There can be no doubt that the crime crisis is fueled in part by the Biden border crisis. Numbers of people coming in at levels that nobody's ever seen before. Probably that no country has ever seen before. When I left office, we handed the new administration the most secure by far border in the history of the United States. We ended catch and release. We ended asylum fraud. We struck historic agreements with Mexico Stay in Mexico. Is that a nice sounding agreement? That is stay in Mexico. Biden immediately terminated stay in Mexico along with pipelines and every other thing. And now congratulations. Gasoline just hit in a lot of places today. $9.25. We deported illegal alien gang members by the thousands and we built nearly 500 miles of Great, beautiful, new border wall. The exact same specifications that the Border Patrol gave us. We got it built, and then we started building more. We're going to add another 200. We were almost finished with that. And then, uh, lo and behold, they came in with a very bad election. Very bad, to put it mildly. They came in with a bad election, and they stopped building the border wall. And when Texas went to them and wanted to... Use the fencing that was already bought and paid for and sitting there waiting just to go up would have taken three weeks to finish it. Uh, They took it away. They wouldn't give it to them. So at least, you know where they're coming from. We gave them the best border ever and they turned it into the worst border nightmare of all time. And you are paying a very high price for that right here in Texas. You're paying a very high price. We had the greatest border, the most secure border in this country, in our country's history. Under Biden, it's always America last. One globalist sellout after another. It's America last. It's even reported that the Biden administration is considering putting UN bureaucrats in charge of your Second Amendment rights. Just like I'm sure that most of you haven't heard this, but you know who's, I terminated the Iran nuclear deal because it was a disaster. They want to go back into it. You know who's negotiating for us? Russia and China. How's that going to work out? You think that's going to work out good? Can you imagine Russia and China saying, do you believe this? He wants us to negotiate the deal for him. This is a sad day. This is one of the saddest times for our country that I've ever seen. They want to re-enter the ridiculous UN arms trade treaty and pursuing a UN ban on lead ammunition. You know that. Because it's not environmentally friendly. Is there a substitute for lead? You people are better at this than me. Wayne, is there a substitute? Where's Jason? Is there a substitute? They want to get rid of lead because it's environmentally unfriendly. The last time I appeared at this NRA leadership forum, I stood before you and I proudly signed a document revoking America's signature from the globalist UN disaster. Under my leadership, we never surrender American sovereignty. We would never surrender American sovereignty. And we always put America first. I remember in the early weeks of the Biden administration, Biden said, we're not going to stand for America first. Now, you know, even if you didn't agree with our policy, you can't say that. It's a great name, isn't it America First? The only thing better might be Ultra Mega. They gave us a great name. (laughs) But compare that, all of the things we talk about, we see, we feel, and many of the things we don't talk about. Compare that with how great America was just two years ago. Think of it, there was no inflation. The war with Russia going into Ukraine would never, ever have happened. Would have never happened. I spoke to Putin about it. Would have never, ever happened. He knew the consequences. He would have never done it. In fact, he didn't do it. Sleepy eyes chucked out on Meet the Fake Press. You ever hear of Meet the Fake Press or Deface the Nation, those shows? Ladies and gentlemen, it's President Donald Trump on Deface the Nation but that really should be the name of these shows. But he was saying to Blinken, I believe, he said, uh, how come this never happened with Trump? Don't forget, Georgia was given up by Bush. Hate to say it. Georgia was given up by Bush. Crimea was given up by Obama and Biden. I mean, We'll add Biden's name in that, if you don't mind. (laughs) Nothing was given up by Trump. And then all of Ukraine, essentially... Was given up by Biden because what do they have left? You know, with all the shooting, all the rockets, every city is being leveled. What are they going to have? There's no win here for anybody. There's no win. This should have never been allowed to start. It would have 100% never started if we didn't have a rigged election. It would have never started in a million years. We had $1.87 per gallon gasoline. Think of that. $1.87. Energy independence. And soon we were going to have energy dominance. We were going to be, we were going to be bigger than Russia and Saudi Arabia combined by a lot. We were on the way going to be very, very soon. We were leaving Afghanistan with dignity and strength, not surrender death and leaving $85 billion worth of beautiful brand new equipment. Giving it to the enemy. You know, they're a tremendous arms dealer right now. They sell. They're selling mostly because how much do they need? They don't need that. So they're selling it. They're the biggest arms dealer in many ways, I understand, on many of the charts. They are number one. Think of it. $85 billion worth of brand new stuff. Helicopters, planes, goggles, everything. Well, it's a terrible thing. We had completely, I believe that was the lowest point in the history of our country, the Way we got it. I was the one that got it down to 2,000 soldiers, but we were going to keep Bagram. Bagram is this great air base that was built many years ago at a cost of billions and billions. But we weren't keeping it for Afghanistan. We're keeping it because it's one hour away from where China makes their nuclear weapons. And we left in one night. Everybody was gone. They left the lights on. Think of it. The lights were all left on. The dogs were left behind, by the way, for those people that like dogs. But we left. And they don't like dogs. You know that. They don't like dogs. <laughs> They don't like them at all. But think of it. Just think of it. Billions and billions of dollars it took to build it years ago. And now China is going to occupy it very shortly if they don't already. We had a completely rebuilt military with the addition of Space Force. First time in 78 years that that's happened after (laughs) Air Force. The Air Force was the last and now we have Space Force. And that's going to prove to be a very important uh Group of people, and that's exactly what it's going to be. You know, they smiled when they saw it. They came in. You saw that. The young woman with the very red hair who's now working for MSDNC. You saw that, right? (laughs) And she said, Space Force, and she started laughing. And the military just excoriated her. There was nothing funny about it. And now everybody's admitting it was so important because Russia and China were way ahead of us in space, but they're not anymore. We had the biggest tax cuts and regulation cuts ever, the history of our country. And we had historic job numbers, 164 million people, and so much more. We did so much more, even right to try. You know what that is? You're terminally ill. We gave a person the right to try new techniques, new things, new medicines. And many, many people are now alive and well because of right to try. They didn't have to go to Asia. They didn't have to go to Europe, all over the world, or go home if they had no money and die. Right to try. They've been trying to get it for 56 years, and we got it done. Passed, actually. We got it passed. Not as easy as you think. Sounds easy, but the drug companies didn't want it because they didn't want it on their record. The country didn't want it because they didn't want to get sued. Many different things. We got everybody to sign waivers and... We have it now, and uh, we're saving thousands of lives. It's incredible what's happened. And what it is doing is telling the drug companies, frankly, up front and personal, whether or not something works, right? So it's, a, it's an amazing thing. But as a candidate, I was proud to receive the earliest endorsement in the entire history of the NRA. I tell you what, that was a very important thing. It was like getting into a great college. You say, boy, that feels good. <laughs> everybody wanted it. Don't forget, we had a total of 18 people running. And uh, your leadership, in which I very much appreciated, Wayne and everybody else, they uh, they said, uh, we really like Trump. And that was before we were very much enmeshed in the campaign. People weren't sure how that was going to work out. But I can tell you, it worked out very well for the NRA. So we appreciated it. We appreciated the endorsement very much. And we got it the second time, too. We got 12 million more votes the second time. How about that? Somebody said, how did you do the second time compared to the first? Well, we did much better the second time, which is true. We got many more. We did. We got we got many more votes the second time than we did the first, but we got we got two of them. And uh, if we do this again, we hope we're going to get a third. Okay, then I can tell you... Thank you. Thank you to the leadership. Thank you. And as your president, I was proud to be the best friend that law-abiding gun owners have ever had in the White House. And we've been giving that, given that credential over four incredible years. We appointed nearly 300 federal judges to interpret the laws and the Constitution as written, including three great new Supreme Court justices. When the radical Democrats tried to use COVID to shut down gun stores during the pandemic, even as left-wing rioters burned down cities, I designated gun and ammunition retailers as critical infrastructure. Kept those stores open. I canceled the Obama administration's exploitation of Social Security data to deny Americans their gun rights without due process of law which was a big deal at the time, we ended Obama's enormous abuse of power known as Operation Chokepoint, under which government bureaucrats pressured banks to cut off services to firearms and the firearms industry. And we are optimistic that in the weeks to come, the Supreme Court will issue landmark rulings affirming that your rights to self-defense does not end when you step outside of your front door. And I think very importantly, as president, I stood up for America's hunters and fishers and sportsmen like no administration since Teddy Roosevelt. He was good also, I will say. We expanded access to 1.4 million acres of public lands for hunting, fishing and recreation. We gave the American people their land back. It was taken away by government. And we stop the Obama era regulatory assaults on hunting, trapping, ammunition, and fishing gear. Everyone here today is united by one incredibly powerful bond. We're all citizens of the United States of America, the greatest country in the history of the world, but we're not, but we're not so great anymore. We're going to make it great. We're going to make it greater than ever again. Greater than ever again. Right now, Right now, we're not respected by other parts of the world. The leaders of the world, we're not respected. We've never been in a position like this. And I think it started with the border, but I actually really think it started more with the horrible surrender that we had in Afghanistan. Remember, I spoke with the head of the Taliban and some of the fake news that is here today with us. Pleasure. Why is he speaking to the Taliban? Why? You know, when they asked Jesse James, why do you rob banks? He said, because that's where the money is, right? <laughs> why do I speak to the Taliban? And I did. I spoke to Abdul, who's still the leader of the Taliban. I said, it's a very nice way. Don't ever kill any of our people. 18 months we went, 18 months we went without one American soldier being killed until that tragic, <laughs> tragic day. And I think that's actually what convinced Putin to go into Ukraine, when he saw what was happening, when he saw the gross incompetence of what took place during that short period of time in Afghanistan, I think that's when he decided to go in, but he would have never done it. It's our citizenship that protects our birthright, our freedoms that belong to every American, of every race, religion, color, and creed. No matter who we are or what our background in America is, we have the right to freedom of speech. We have the right to freedom of assembly, freedom of association, free and fair elections. And we have the right to very, very strong and powerful borders. I used to say without borders, we don't have a country. Now I say without borders and proper elections, we don't have a country. We have a right to religious liberty. We have a right to the full, fair and impartial rule of law. But also, we can never forget that we have a right to our Second Amendment, which is under siege, but we will prevail. We will prevail. As our Bill of Rights says in those clear and immortal words, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. In times of hardship, crisis, and turmoil, these core American freedoms have always been attacked by those who wish to turn citizens into subjects and take more power for themselves. But thankfully, our nation has always been blessed with Americans like you. You're incredible Americans in this room, patriots who know that our rights are given up if we let somebody do the wrong thing. It's very simple, it's very precious. But we live by the hand of Almighty God and that no government can ever be taken away from us. More than 150 years ago, the NRA was born out of the idea that ordinary citizens should be prepared to defend these incredible liberties. And throughout the generations, that is exactly what Americans have done. Over the decades, tens of millions of people, moms and dads, grandfathers and grandmothers, farmers and factory workers, nurses and teachers, soldiers and lawmen have been proud, and you know this, they have been so proud. I see it all the time. People show me their card. Here it is. They've been very proud, card-carrying, members of the NRA. Sir, I have my NRA card. I say, okay, good. What else is new? (laughs) Got a lot of people out there. He has his trump card. Thank you very much. (laughs) You got a lot of people out there with that card. It's very important. And during that time, you've been led by a legion of American legends, from great General Ambrose Burnside, who you know, to the great American hero Ulysses S. Grant, and of course, that fearless patriot, the late great American icon, Charlton Heston, great movie actor, great movie star. Down throughout history, time and time again, hardworking citizens like you have answered the call to save American freedom. And now together we are going to save American freedom once again. We have no choice. We're going to have to do it again because right we don't have American freedom. We are going to preserve our heritage. We are going to defend our rights. We are going to protect our communities, protect our schools and protect our precious children. We are going to secure our liberties for ourselves and for every future generation. In 2022, we are going to vote for tough on crime pro second amendment candidates in record numbers. Get out and vote. Make sure the voting's honest, by the way. <laughs> Together, we're going to take back the house. We're going to take back the Senate. And in 2024, we are going to take back that great and beautiful White House that we love and cherish so much. And then we're going to make America safer, freer, richer, stronger, prouder, and greater than ever before. To the incredible patriots, people of Texas, God bless you, and God bless America. Thank you very much. Great honor. Thank you.
1: Well, that was pretty awesome to hear our president talk. So I'm thinking, let's take a quick musical break. and come back with some commentary and one more person that spoke. that intermission so this codec i really don't know how he only had 387 listens on that this guy should be extremely popular with the amazing melodies and frequencies and, and making them more you know could you imagine just driving to a destination just jamming to that in your car i mean seriously frequencies Ah. Music. Oh my gosh, thank you for the rants. I just got on the chat to see if you guys uh, liked it. It was really good, right? And there's a lot of people that remix things and put a lot of too much techno, but this guy is brilliant. Um, So I'll be playing a lot of his music. I just, I simply adore him. I just can't wait for my next drive in my car just to listen to this while I drive. Seriously. Just like Scriptonite, the Russian rap thing, even though they're talking, you know, it's like whatever. It's just perfect. So I posted one of his songs from his channel on Telegram so you guys can find the rest of it. I think his music is just, uh, you know, so jazzed up and so incredible. It makes you want to dance because, you know, we don't all waltz anymore. So President Trump uh, and what he spoke of is so important. But also, as the Bells told, the shame, shame, shame was being shouted outside of the NRA as they spoke so weird, almost like whatever. I'm just good at Googling. Now, other people spoke up, but first, I want you guys to see how uh, Ted Cruz uh, handled a reporter confronting him. Please have a listen to this.
2: I want you to pay particular attention to it
12: because obviously you're going to
5: have to respond to it, Congressman. This is Ted Cruz. He's being interviewed today by a reporter from Sky News. Everyone listen to this.
12: But why does
13: this only happen in your country? I really think that's what many people around the world just, they cannot fathom. Why only in America? Why is this American exceptionalism so awful?
7: You know, I'm sorry you think American exceptionalism is awful.
0: I think this
7: aspect of it. You got your political agenda. No, it's God, honestly, God love you.
8: Why is America the only it, country that it, faces this kind it, of you <laughs> you <know what>? mass shooting? <laughs> but the, the, you can't answer
14: that. You can't answer that, can you? say? you can't but, answer that. Why you know,
7: is this? Why, country, why is it that people come from all over the world to America because it's the freest, most prosperous, safest so country on may earth? Maybe it and may be the freest.
4: The maybe the
7: most
1: display there of uh, we don't need to listen to Don Lemon's you know commentary, but his clapback should have been. Because we're the only country that allows their citizens to arm themselves. The rest of you are owned by your nations. I mean, that's what I would have said. And then there's a curious question, and I posted it on Telegram uh, during um, the speech, where someone asked, Clay Travis actually asked, honest question. We've had widely available guns in this country for hundreds of years. Why did mass shootings only really start in the late 90s with Columbine? What changed to make this happen after 200 years where they mostly didn't? I'm interested in opinions. Well, he should actually be corrected because, uh, you know, he wasn't the first one, right? Because before all of those in, um, before even, I believe, Columbine, Uh, Right, Uh, there was a shooting, Uh, a Greek-American guy named Barry Lukaitis. He opened fire at um, Frontier Middle School in Moses Lake in Washington, and three people died. And the reason only three people died is because um, the teacher, John Lane, actually took action. As the teacher stood there, and this is, you know, pretty pretty weird, right? Um, The teacher attacked the shooter. He was brave enough to do it. Now most of these teachers are pussy whooped and don't even know, you know, they have so much soy in their milk. The men don't look like men. The women don't know if they're women and they're teaching your kids about sex, but none of them would find an opportunity to tackle a gunman. And speaking of gunmen and how crazy it is, why do you want to be, you know, in there? Well, it just so happened that this morning, um, uh, well, yes, on the 26th in the morning, there was a shootout on the 25th in the evening, 26th, you know, early wee hours. So um, in West Virginia, in Charleston, West Virginia, um, uh, a guy was actually killed. And here's what happened. The guy was there. He was told, you know, to watch the way he walks because they're students. And he leaves, you know, um, near this apartment complex. There was a party going on for high school graduation, right? He then came back with an AR-15 and started firing into the crowd. No one died. Guess why? Because there was a chick that had a gun. She whooped that shit out and took him out immediately. And no one died and the bystander that was there uh, at the party whooped out her weapon and shot him right on the spot. No charges are being filed against her. And the guy that opened fire on people is dead. See, this is what happens. No one will walk into a party or a store knowing that anybody can have a weapon. But this is where it begins. I did say it's as of June 1st when all these policies go in pretty early. A couple days, not so much, but whatever. They needed to get it for the NRA. And see, the more light is being shown, uh, the more people are starting to see. Could it be that this is just like 9-11, only on a smaller scale? How come we had so many shootings under the Barack Hussein Obama and Biden admin and again during the Biden admin? Oh, but we had it under Trump. I see. I guess the problem is, who's orchestrating this? Where's all this money coming from? Who's paying for this? Why is everything so confusing? Why are things so inconsistent? And inconsistency is okay when there's chaos. These are all questions. But rather than look like a digital red stringer and someone that wears a tinfoil hat, we must be asking the right questions. And we must stop virtue signaling. Who is this dude that decided that he's not going to perform at the NRA because of the shooting? Right. Take a listen.
15: Off their annual meeting tomorrow, where oh. prominent Republicans like former President Trump and Texas lawmakers like Governor Greg Abbott, Senator Ted Cruz and Congressman Dan, Dan Crenshaw are scheduled to speak just days after 19 kids and two teachers were shot and killed in their classroom in Ubalde, Texas. But some musicians scheduled to perform at the NRA meeting, including Don McLean and Larry Gatlin, canceled their appearances today. Out front now is Larry Gatlin, a Grammy award-winning musician and member of country trio, the Gatlin Brothers. Larry, thank you for coming on. So why are you taking the stand now to say enough is enough?
16: Well, I hope this uh, next few minutes is not a total waste of time because I do not have a lot of answers. Uh, I can't answer that one. Uh, especially for a lot of my fans who are also confused about uh, the fact that I canceled, I did not cancel it in protest uh, against the NRA. I'm a card carrying member of the NRA and have been for 40 years as was my father and as are my two brothers. I canceled it because I didn't think it was a good time to go down to Houston and have a party uh, with them digging 21 fresh graves in the Valley of my precious uh, beloved Texas. Uh, I believe in the second amendment Uh, the first version of the second amendment is in this old book that I should read a little more than I do. Maybe we all ought to read a little more over in Luke chapter 22, the master teacher, the Lord Christ said, if you don't have a sword, go sell your cloak and buy one. I believe that I have the right to protect myself and my family and my home, as I believe everyone does. So I'm a second amendment guy unless there, you know, so there's no question about that. I just did not believe it was the right thing to do. Uh, It would have been kind of a classy move uh, on the NRA's part, and they need some good PR right now if they'd cancel the whole thing and said, hey, we're going to go in here for one big moment and and say a prayer for those folks or have a moment of silence, and we'll come back and do this later. We can always have our our big convention. They decided not to do that, and, you know, they just didn't ask this old simple country singer. My choice was to do that uh, for those folks uh, from my own Twitter feed that's blowing up, you know, 50, 50 of my fans who believe I've turned my back on the NRA or the second amendment. Uh, uh-uh, that's not true. So, uh, we cannot put ourselves in their place. People say, uh, well, we're praying for you and our prayers and thoughts when the Gatlin say, they're going to pray for you. They get on their knees, which I did about an hour ago because it's an awesome responsibility to be here uh, with you good folks, especially in light of, uh, you know, I'm a little bit on the other uh, way, on the other side of the political spectrum from uh, most of the folks at CNN, wow. but I appreciate y'all covering it and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I wish I had more answers.
15: Well, I can just say here, we're, we're, I'm not left or right. We just want to get the answers and we want to focus on the facts. Why don't you think the NRA postponed this or canceled it, given what happened just two days ago in Texas?
16: I'm sorry. Why do you think they didn't? Why,
15: yeah. Why, why do you think they didn't cancel or postpone this? I,
16: I don't know. I, 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 can't get into their minds. Uh, did you express I, I to them that
15: why you were pulling out and, and what was, what was the reaction?
16: No, I didn't. My, my assistant, Bonnie, uh, called them. I would gladly talk to him. I wouldn't hide from anybody. I don't hide. My, my life's pretty much an open book. Hi, I'm Larry and I'm an, alcoholic. uh, Sober by the grace of God for almost 40 years. So uh, Bonnie just sent them as my manager, just said, Larry's not going to be there. Uh, you know, if they ask me to go to another sometime down the road, I'll do it. I just thought it was inappropriate. Uh, you know, I, I am not on that board. I, I don't know what all is going on uh, behind the scenes or anything else. Uh, every large corporation makes good decisions and they make bad decisions. I happen to think This was a bad decision to carry it on. Uh, If they want to revoke my membership, I guess they can do that. But I'm still going to carry my firearm uh, to protect myself and my family and my band. And even uh, the folks for whom I sing, uh, thank God, and have for the last 67 years. I can't get in their mind. They can't get inside of mine. Believe me, it looks kind of wacky in here sometimes.
15: (laughs) I understand that. It's kind of wacky in mine, too. That's just how it goes sometimes. But um, you, you, you say you still support the NRA. Something the NRA, as you well know, does not support is background checks. You do support background checks, though, right?
16: I think there should be some way. You know, people want they talk about negotiating. Well, let's get together. Both sides of the aisle are always saying, let's get together. They don't mean that. They really don't. They mean, I'm going to come in there and tell you what to do. If you're going to get together, inherent in that is that you leave some of your crap outside in the hall. And that the other bunch leaves some of their crap outside in the hall and you come in and take what crap you've got left and see if you can make something out of it. That is what negotiation and what coming together really means. It never has meant I'm going to get all of my stuff and you're going to get all of yours. Uh, It's very strange to me that the people who want to revoke my Second Amendment rights to carry a weapon, they are guarded and never have uh, more than five or ten yards away somebody who doesn't have a piece on them. So uh, I think it was uh, uh, Epictetus who once said, you should uh, you should never bring someone before the tribunal of justice until you yourself have been brought before the tribunal of justice. It kind of means what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So mm-hmm. if you're sitting up there, uh, 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 Madam Pelosi uh, uh, telling me that I need to uh, turn my firearm in, tell that guy guarding your limo and driving your limo to turn his in first. Then we'll talk about it. That's what I mean about leaving your crap out in the hall.
15: Right. And of course, you were entitled to your views on this. It's a very hotly debated issue that people are very passionate about, especially in the wake of this shooting. But I do need to ask you, um, you said you, you just did not feel right to go to this NRA meeting when all of these sweet children and teachers are being buried what do you think about the, the many high profile Republicans who are still attending, like um, Ted Cruz, like the governor, Greg Abbott, like former President Trump?
16: Uh, that That's none of my business in much the same manner that I've had to learn that other people's opinion of me is none of my business. Now, I really hope that there are about a thousand people uh, who have a good opinion of me about 60 or 70 times a year when my brothers go out there, you know, about a thousand, I can pay the rent on a thousand. I hope they have a good opinion of me and of the music. But if I sit around worrying, that's what it's called is codependency. dependency If I'm depending on uh, everybody liking me, I, I am in a deep, deep sewage. It's just not going to happen. Okay. Uh, again, they, they speak for themselves. Uh, I'm not going to be with all due respect, trapped into talking about them. they have. I'm not, to, they not have trying to, to trap
15: you, just asking.
16: I'm going to shave myself, and I feel like I'm going to be able to do it, uh, and if I met my maker t- uh, tonight, uh, I'll be able to stand there and say, this is how so, I did it. He, like I say, for somebody who said they don't have a lot of answers, it seems like I have a bunch.
1: So, this guy is just a guy with an opinion. You know, he felt strongly about something and didn't go. CNN wanted to hear other things, and he was like, no, I just chose not to go, and... Other people's, uh, you know, did decide to go. I'm not going to mention on that. See, pay attention to how they want to spin the narrative to get people. Now, let's talk about, um, you know, yeah, that's what we need to, you need to see this. What other countries do differently than the U.S. to stop mass shootings? <laughs> I hope they come out the gate with, yeah, nobody has guns. Let's see. Will the truth prevail?
12: April 1996, a gunman killed 35 people at a resort in the Australian state of Tasmania. Twelve days later, Australian Prime Minister John Howard announced sweeping gun reforms, a national gun buyback program that took up to a million guns out of circulation, a ban on rapid-fire rifles and shotguns, a 28-day waiting period to buy a gun, And a National Registry for would-be gun owners. How did those reforms work? Their rates of gun violence declined uh, quite substantially, both with respect to homicides and with suicides. And they virtually eliminated fatal mass shootings. Since Australia's gun control law went into effect in 1996, mass shootings have gone from nearly annual to almost never, with only one since that time. And John Howard later pointed out his government was able to get that done, even though he's a political conservative.
16: There was a lot of resistance inside sections of my own political base. But even the most cynical, skeptical person would acknowledge that we have made a a big difference with that prohibition.
12: Hungerford, England, 1987. A man used two semi-automatic rifles and a handgun to kill 16 people. The British government responded by banning semi-automatic and pump-action weapons. Nine years later, after a gunman killed 16 children and their teacher in Dunblane, Scotland, Britain announced a law banning the private ownership of all handguns. Britain now has one of the lowest rates of gun-related deaths among developed countries. In New Zealand, after massacres at two mosques that killed 50 people in 2019, The government was praised for immediately banning military-style semi-automatic weapons and announcing a gun buyback program. New Zealand, Australia, Britain, all countries that, like the U.S., had a culture of gun ownership before those mass shootings. But analysts say they don't see the changes those countries made happening in America.
15: The right to own a gun, the Second Amendment, is a huge part of American culture, and I think that's really affected the political dynamics, the political will of
8: being able to get anything done.
12: It's uh, the simple structure of our government in the United States that gives substantially undue power to low population, mostly rural states that are not too keen on gun control. The analysts we spoke to believe the best the U.S. can do at this point is expand background checks, expand red flag laws, and institute more oversight of gun
1: dealers, Wolf. that's Well, okay, so let's talk about two things. Expand red flag laws, social credit, co- credit system, that's what it's called, uh, you know, just they'll package it later in that name, and then, you know, these are the same people that applauded, uh, you know, citizens being armed. So according to their calculations and their statements, uh, we should see Ukrainians start mass shooting each other and um, increasing their suicides. Which, by the way, I don't know why they're complaining about, because they want people to have the right to choose to commit suicide, assisted suicide. So um, if someone wants to take their life by a gun rather than a doctor in a calm environment with uh, music, um, they should. Their life right? Well, (laughs) apparently only Ukrainians should have guns.
2: We are in a queue where people are waiting to get their weapons to fight the Russian invaders. There is no reason to believe that they're going to stop anytime soon. And their objective clearly, at least to me, seems to be the occupation of my entire country and uh, the destruction of everything that I love. I'm just a regular civilian, I have basically nothing to do with war or any other thing like it. And I I wouldn't really want to participate in in anything like this, but I don't really have any choice, because this is my home.
0: When I uh, heard the explosions, I decided that uh, I'm ready.
9: I'm adult woman, I'm healthy, uh, and, uh, uh, it's my responsibility.
4: Так, наразі, ну виходячи з того, що ми прив'язані до конкретного району Києва, ми готуємось саме до вуличних боїв. Нам розповідають, як правильно себе поводити в команді, в поодинці.
9: Люди тільки йдуть і підтримують, тільки хвалять, і щоб хтось переживав за це, що ми зброю. Я за сутки останні. So funny.
1: So I guess maybe the, you know, the confiscation from all the Australian weapons and buybacks, right, are being sent to Ukraine now to give to all the citizens because they won't have mass shootings and kill themselves. They're at war. When they're literally the ones killing each other. Kristi Noem, who was set up to be President Trump's VP, and I still hope she does, even though she had that, there's rumors of an affair. It doesn't mean it happened, right? And even if she did go get a girl, whatever, maybe, whatever. I'm not about, you know, infidelity, but, you know, rumors, rumors, they tried to taint her, but I really like her for now.
11: Well, good afternoon. Thank you so much for that wonderful welcome. You know, it's an honor to be among a group of America-loving patriots like all of you. You have guts and you've got conviction. You know, it's inspiring to look out on a crowd like this. When I was walking around the hall earlier today, I saw families, I saw parents and grandparents, young women, professionals, teenagers, hunters and sportsmen, members of law enforcement, NRA members come from every single walk of life, every race, every creed. And I am proud to be a lifetime NRA member and to stand with all of you. Listen, America is struggling right now. And there are those who want to change our foundational way of life and then there are those of us who value the gift that we were given by the founders of this great republic. The test of time has proven that this greatest experiment in human history called the United States of America is truly the only government that guarantees an individual's liberties and freedoms. Now, our hearts are broken at the tragedy that we saw this week here in Texas. And as a mother and a grandmother, I can't even imagine with the families of those dear children and those teachers are going through. I hope that you are all lifting them up in prayer. And sadly, it's not the first time that we've experienced this type of grief. I think all of us here today and across the country never want to see anything like this ever happen again. But we have very many difficult questions that we have to answer today. This isn't the time for grandstanding. It's not the time for shouting or division, this is the time to be honest, to work together to protect the future for our children and our grandchildren. To truly decide where we are going as a country, we need to reflect on our history and look back at where we've been. Here are some of those questions. Why was the Second Amendment even created? Does it still hold value today? Why is it okay for some to have guns and others not? Why do we protect our banks, our stores, and celebrities with armed guards, but not our children? Are they not truly our greatest treasure? Much, much more valuable than material things? If we limit the average citizen from having a firearm, will that keep those who choose to ignore the law from accessing one as well? Listen, I don't have all the answers for you today, but I do want to share with you why I believe the Second Amendment may, may be the most important of our Bill of Rights. Now, the Second Amendment is sacred to me and to our family. It always has been. In order to able to understand why it's so important to us, you need to know a little bit about me personally. Growing up on a farm in South Dakota, guns were just a fact of life for my family. My dad was a farmer and a rancher, a real-life cowboy who worked harder than anybody I had ever known. He was tough as rawhide. He lived a life of integrity, and he expected his children to embrace those ideals. Of course, this also applied to our firearms. Owning guns wasn't a political thing for us. Like most American families, we rarely discussed government or politics around the table. On our ranch, our politics were lived, not talked about. We knew we had freedom, and what we had personal responsibility, but we also knew that we needed to use both to make our corner of the world a better place to serve other people. It wasn't complicated. Before I was old enough to get my own hunting license, I used to follow my grandmother when she was out bird hunting. And yes, in South Dakota, even our grandmas are armed. Now, my dad, he preferred big game hunting. And from a young age, my siblings and I, we went with him. We had guns hanging in the back window of every pickup. Our gun cabinet was proudly displayed in our living room. Firearms were woven into the fabric of our day. We grew up educated about guns and hunting. And as much as I love hunting, the Second Amendment isn't about any of that. The Second Amendment is about deterrence. It's about ensuring government respects the rights and the liberty of citizens. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Those 27 words are freedom's last line of defense. The founders understood deeply that without an armed citizenry, authentic freedom could not and would not survive. Now, how did they know this? What were their circumstances? What did they know about human nature and the temptation to seize power? Did they know how fragile freedom could be? What were they drawing on? Well, number one, they were drawing on their own experience. The founders knew that the country would have never survived the Revolutionary War if the colonists hadn't owned their own weapons. Look at Boston in 1775, 11,000 expertly trained British soldiers occupied the city and George Washington's ragtag army of Continentals surrounded them. His American volunteers carried only their personal muskets. They used these to hold the British at bay until a 25 year old bookseller named Henry Knox could retrieve 60 tons of artillery and move it more than 300 miles to help. In the meantime, the Continentals challenged the infantry of the British Empire with the same firearms that they used to hunt squirrels and deer and to feed their families. Now, what else did the founding generation understand? They knew human nature. Writing in 1775, Thomas Paine laid it out clearly. While avarice and ambition have a place in the heart of man, the weak will become prey to the strong. The history of every age and nation establishes these truths, and facts need but little arguments when they prove themselves. When I read about the Constitution, I'm often struck by the the subject and the issue of timing. The first ten amendments the Bill of Rights were ratified effective December 15, 1791. But what else was happening in the world at that time? The French Revolution. Unlike the U.S. Constitution, the Declaration of the Rights of Man, the foundational document of the French Revolution, does not include a right to bear arms. And Thomas Paine's arguments proved themselves in horrifying detail. In Paris, which was the center of European learning and culture for a thousand years, mobs tore down statues and crosses. Does that sound familiar? They attacked religion. They desecrated churches. The mob consumed French society until a dictator could arise from all the chaos. Our founding fathers were watching these horrors take place elsewhere in the world. One Pennsylvania delegate to the Constitutional Convention wrote the following to the Philadelphia Federal Gazette in 1789. He wrote, civil rulers may attempt to tyrannize, and the military forces which must be occasionally raised to defend our country might pervert their power to the injury of their fellow citizens. Does this mean that at the time the Constitution was ratified, the founders might have been worried about a corrupt American government Using the military to crush the rights of regular citizens? It sure sounds that way, doesn't it? So let's talk about the cities with the most restrictive gun control laws. When 30 people are shot over a weekend in Chicago, we get nothing but silence from Joe Biden and the media. When gang members kill innocent children in Baltimore or Cleveland, they might give it a passing mention on the local news. But when a deranged, mentally unstable murderer who fits the left's political narrative, kills innocent children and people, the media seizes the opportunity to paint millions of law-abiding gun owners and you and me as barbarians. Monsters. People like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi instantly start calling for more gun laws that wouldn't have made any difference in stopping the shooter. They use the tragic situation to push their agenda, and it is all about control and it is garbage. I'm not buying it for a second, and you shouldn't either. George Mason warned to disarm the people is the most effectual way to enslave them. The pandemic showed us that freedom is just as fragile in our time as it was in 1775. Now, fortunately, more Americans are waking up to this. From 2020 to 2021, around 11 million people in this country purchased a firearm for the very first time. About half of them were women. (laughs) And almost 60% of them were over the age of 45. I believe the number one reason was because of fear of civil unrest and to protect themselves and their families. We have seen the same type of radical mob mentality taking place on the streets of American cities that swept Paris in the 1790s. Woke mobs are tearing down statues, and it doesn't matter who they are above. Our founding fathers, Catholic missionaries, they even wanted to come after Mount Rushmore. Well not on my watch. On cue, the left and their media allies cheered them on. Remember when Chris Cuomo was asking where in the Constitution it says protests have to be peaceful? Well, it's in the first sentence, in the First Amendment, Chris, look it up. Of course. Now Americans were horrified. We have an incredible opportunity in front of us, but we also have a challenge. We need to find, educate, and persuade these Americans of why the Second Amendment is so vitally important. I mentioned that I grew up surrounded by guns on a farm and a ranch, but it was only later that I learned firearms have an essential role in sustaining our political freedom here at home, and we need to help others understand that role, too. We need to be smart in how we reach out to them. We should anchor ourselves in history and our present-day trials. Just saying, oh, the founders said this, so we should do it too, is just not good enough. They need to know why. The enemies of freedom have always tried to disarm patriots, which is why we have to engage today. We know this isn't something new in human history. And because of that, we can anticipate the challenges. We need to act with confidence and with courage. We need to take action. Now the very first bill that I signed upon taking office as governor in 2018 was constitutional carry. Not only did I sign the bill, I held a signing ceremony in the rotunda of the Capitol to demonstrate the importance of the legislation. But I wasn't done, so this year I advocated for and signed legislation that repeals all concealed carry permit fees in South Dakota, and the state is even going to pay for your federal background check. It will not cost you a penny to exercise your Second Amendment constitutional rights in South Dakota. We also clarified South Dakota's Stand Your Ground law by establishing that the burden of proof by clear and convincing evidence lies on the parties seeking to overcome the immunity provided under this law. You have a right in South Dakota to protect yourself and your family. We updated the definition of loaded firearm to designate that a firearm is considered loaded only if a round is chambered. This makes it easier to store unloaded firearms while still letting you defend yourself in situations When seconds matter. When it comes to the Second Amendment, South Dakota is leading, and other states should follow our lead. Now is not the time to cave to the woke culture. Let me tell you the truth about the enemies of the Second Amendment. They are schooled in the ways of Marx and Lenin. They play the long game. They are content with chipping away at your rights 50 years, 100 years. They are deceptive and they are patient. They count on Americans to tire of the fight, to eventually relinquish our freedoms and our rights. We saw it during the pandemic. Too many of our fellow citizens freely handed over their rights to work or to even leave their home until a corrupt government gave them the green light to do so. Well not in South Dakota. We were the only state that never once shut down a single business or closed churches. Our children came through the pandemic with the least amount of learning loss of any in the country and we are leading the country in educational outcomes. We gave our citizens <laughs> We we gave our citizens the best information. We let them use personal responsibility to make the best decisions for themselves and for their families. You know, freedom. I clearly told the people of South Dakota what I was doing to solve the problem. My friends could see it and so could my opponents. And that's what this community must do now. We need to be very clear about what the Second Amendment is really about and why we advocate for it. This position is not going to make you popular with the liberals who want to restrict your freedom. They will attack you. We see it every single day. I get attacked every day in the media. I have two things to say about that. First, you get the most flack when you're over the target. If they're attacking you, it's because you're doing something effective that scares them. So keep it up. Second, stay tough. To paraphrase Prime Minister uh, Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, you can't go wobbly on this, all right? I was recently reading a history of General Grant. He had a powerful reflection from early in the Civil War that I think is relevant for us in the gun rights community. In one of his earliest battles, the young Colonel Grant was leading his regiment against an enemy position. He was suddenly aware and felt an all-consuming fear, fear that he would fail, fear that he was going to get killed, fear that he was going to get all of his men killed, And when his men finally came up over the rise, they saw that the Confederate position was empty, that they had deserted. The opposing Colonel had been every bit as afraid of Grant as Grant had been of him. He didn't have the stomach for the battle, so he had turned tail and he had ran. Here's what Grant wrote of that event. From that event to the close of the war, I never once experienced trepidation upon confronting an enemy again. Though I always felt more or less anxiety, I never forgot that he had as much reason to fear my forces as I had of his. The left likes to appear monolithic, unstoppable, but it's not. And what's more, the left is afraid of the NRA. they fear people who think for themselves and who defend their rights. There are so many people out there that are counting on us to help them defend their right. So don't back down. Now is not the time to quit. Now would be the worst time to quit. Now is when we double down. (laughs) Lastly, what does it look like when a person embraces their fundamental rights and responsibilities? I think it's clear that they become more free. They become more capable, more independent, more powerful, more free. We are all called to live courageously in the battlefield of our daily lives. Our workplaces, our communities, our homes, our country needs it. No weak willed or half measures will save us from the relentless and the unhinged radicals that we are facing today. So we double down. This fight is much bigger than the people in this room. The consequences of our actions will affect all future generations of Americans. Do you want your children to have the same freedom that we've been blessed with? Do you want your, do you want your grandchildren to understand and to know and experience liberty? Then we must protect the Second Amendment. It is an honor. It is an honor to be in the trenches with each of you, and that's why I'm proud to be here today. So thank you for your work. God bless you, and may God continue to bless the great United States of America. Thank you.
1: And that was pretty awesome for now. So people need to understand why these red flag laws. Yeah. We all understand the concept that they want to disarm the population. And the only reason they would be scared and need to disarm a population is because they know they're doing shit that will make people pick up a gun. So let's take a three minute interlude. Cause I was listening with you. Um, I wanted to say thank you so much for the rants. Really appreciate it. Let's listen to a little musical interlude again while I go get that coffee. Um, because I'm playing an all nighter today. <laughs> I'm gonna go, It still blows my mind how this guy doesn't have like millions of followers and whatnot. Uh, The jams are just incredible. So now let's get into this. Red flag laws. Of course. One bitch will say, well, he was really violent. And maybe an ex-wife or ex-girlfriend, ex-boyfriend says that you're violent. Suddenly, red flag laws. And they take your guns away and tell you that you must go and see one of their own shrinks to see if you can get them back. Because some loser wanted to put a report. Kind of like a child protective services, it'll be a gun protective services kind of institution that they'll have to set up. And you're going to watch it happen. Not with a government agency direct. Just just, just pay attention. But there's a bigger thing behind this. So when we mocked the New York Times guy yesterday, saying, oh, White House, you better just go after the manufacturer of that IR-15, you're thinking, what? Sure. <laughs> so should every person that gets hit by a car go after the car manufacturer and say, Kia, your motherfucker ran me over when he was drunk. Pay me. Uh, no, he just bought the car for me. If he's nuts and drinks and running you over, not my fault. Well, in the society that they want, where you're on the system with your new QR code, and digitized everything, even your money. You will not be eligible to purchase a car because you drink too much. Or, hey, you've got a marijuana card, so uh, you can't buy this vehicle, but you can buy that one. You're just not allowed to get this one because your currency is not programmed for it. Uh, you know what? It's Friday night, and you want to rent the car, and uh, you know the system tells us that you just bought two cases of beer in a keg. You can't rent a car, but you can have this bicycle. Oh, dear. You're bad. You're a bad, bad kid. You sat there with your friends and you were playing, you know, fake army with your toy soldiers. You may be aggressive. Therefore, young man, I know you want to get into this university, but we have zero tolerance for any aggression. But that was when I was 12. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, young man. Did you um run away from home because, you know, and caused all this trouble because you were in a troubled home where you were beaten or raped by the people that were supposed to protect you? Yeah. Sorry. We don't have seats in this college for people that are traumatized and still working with their with their inner child that needs to heal. Thank you. And obviously, uh, you can't fly with that airline because we need people that have Zen, that believe that they can use pronouns together, uh, you know, because that's sexual assault. If you're using the wrong pronoun, uh, they said they that they call themselves Z. And you said, fuck that. You're a he. And so, therefore, sexual assault charge, sorry, you can't fly with this airway. But you can have that one. Oh, yeah, you can't have a bank account. But I know Walmart has these check cashing places. You can go there. These are all real things. And it's becoming apparent. You know, they should have privatized crypto faster. But you know, the thing is, the government, you know, was always open to anybody using bank accounts because they could see what you could do, right? You're a cartel. We're watching you. That's why Comey was on the board. He was watching, skimming off the top. You know, you know how that goes. I see you you guys are making millions of dollars Uh, selling a lot of Coke. Yeah, you need to pay us 10% or else we'll shut down your bank account. So then Bitcoin came up. That's not regulated for now. Bitcoin should have been privatized, but people want to make it gold. Uh See, people are starting to get it now. They're starting to see it now. And this is where it begins with bells. Ding, ding, ding. Hell's bells. Hell's is going to break loose now. And so how can we fix this? Well, the Central Bank of Digital Currencies. This is why I said, yeah, I don't do Coinbase. I do crypto.com. You know, these are all very important things. The government doesn't need a warrant to get into your bank account. It could just look at it anyway. You know, anything because the bank gives it voluntarily. I mean, didn't they give all your details and transactions for January 6th? and? No warrant. They violated the privacy of their customers. No fucking warrant. How many of you were affected? You should have sued the fuck out of them. No warrant. And it's very strategic what they're doing now with the digital currencies. It's very. And you know, and now that money is going to be changed, uh, you know, you have to understand that regulating currency... Uh, is going to be their number one priority. Uh, Why? Because everything needs to be digitally controlled, even your money. And this is how the social credit system kicks off. That's what you missed with this. They want to ensure that people cannot have access to consumer goods if they're considered a threat, whatever it is. You know, if the, you know... Loser leftists say that you're a radical. You will not be, I mean, I'm disallowed to use a platform. It's a consumer product. They chose to not give me access to Twitch and Twitter because they can't. They can't. They can discriminate and say, I don't need to give you my, you're not allowed to use my business. Okay. But what happens when they tell you your money is not good here? You don't have the score to spend money here. This is how they separate you. And this is how they show who the throwaway slaves are and who the obedient ones are. Oh, they tell you everything you need to know.
14: So the UK is currently the head of the G7 group. That's the world's most economically advanced countries. And the UK currently chairs the G7 group. Our chancellor, who does our economy, called Chancellor of the Exchequer, his name's Rishi Sunak. He put out this video saying that um, what they want to do is bring in this uh, thing called the Central Banking Digital Currency. They want to replace fiat paper money with digital money as a competitor to Bitcoin and crypto money, right? But instead of being a decentralized currency, it will be controlled by a government. It's digital currency, but controlled centrally through the banks, Bank of England. So instead of having a bank account with whatever, HSBC or Bank of America, you'll have a bank account directly with, in the American context, with the Fed. In the UK, directly with the Bank of England. You have a personal bank account. And you're given digital money in that bank account. These are called central banking digital currencies. The Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK has already announced their intention to do this as the G7 Group. And
17: these, uh, if you look up... Um, this sounds terrifying. If bro. you look up uh, the Telegraph newspaper. Central bank digital currency, uh, currency is that yeah. the one down it's, below? Digital currency should be programmable. See that one there? Yeah. Now, what yeah. they're doing
14: is they're saying... You know, everyone knows that with inflation at over five percent, it's now five point four percent, right? Uh, our fiat money, the paper money, is increasingly becoming worthless, and we're headed towards a big disaster. They, the Fed wants to raise interest rates. But we're in so much debt that if you raise interest rates, people are going to suffer because everyone, that the, you know, we're living on debt as Western economies. So they realize that this kind of the lifespan of paper money is fast coming to an end because of the 2008 economic crash in particular. So they're bringing in these central banking digital currencies. Why is that word programmable in there? So what they said in that article and the the Chancellor put a video out saying this as well. They've said that this money that you will earn from work, instead of having paper money, you have this digital money. It's programmable so that you can't buy certain foods or if you do something that your employer doesn't like, it's all in that article. You won't be able to spend your money. In other words, it's not money. They're vouchers. They're like food vouchers. And they can be programmed so that, like the Chinese social credit system, that if you try and use them on a certain thing, it won't work. You say you want to buy a burger and they want you to buy bugs, which is one of the examples used. If you start to try and buy unhealthy meat, it just won't work. You tap tap your card, you can't buy the thing because you've met your quota that month of burgers. You have to buy something like a a vegan meal.
17: So it won't just be money in the sense of the way we have dollars or pounds today. Yeah. It'll be something that's controlled in terms of your ability to distribute it. Which is why I'm calling it a voucher. It's a coupon. But even a coupon, if you have a coupon to buy bread, you can still buy the bread. Like there's no- But you can't buy, see that coupon to buy bread. What you can't do is buy a burger with that coupon. It's for bread. Right. Yeah. Right. Do you feel like you're sounding the alarm? Yes. For people that don't understand what is going on.
14: So, here, yeah, I've pulled it up for you here. Yeah. So, there's the video.
13: The group of the world's seven most advanced economies, the G7, is launching a set of public policy principles for retail central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Central bank digital currencies could be a digital version of money, a bit like a digital banknote. could be
14: used Right. So, that's the guy who runs our economy in the UK. His name's the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And here is the article. Bank of England tells ministers to intervene on digital currency programming. Yeah. And here's a quote from the article digital cash could be programmed to ensure it is only spent on essentials or goods which an employer or government deems to be sensible. Holy shit. I'm going to take it one step further, Fijo, right? So the Checkpoint Charlie exists everywhere. They bring in digital banking, central banking digital currencies. You've got a scenario now that you're checking in and out everywhere you go using vouchers that are programmed and you can only spend where you're told you can spend them. There's another word for that, man. That's called the Chinese social credit system. So what they are telling us, and when I say they, who's they? People in power. That's the head of our economy, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, second most powerful person other than the Prime Minister and maybe the Foreign Secretary in the UK, right? He's telling us, I just played it there for you. He's telling us that's what he, as the UK, the head of the G7, want to bring in for the G7. And if I'm speaking to you the way I'm speaking now, and my employer or government, you heard that in the quote directly, yeah, deems me as saying or doing something inappropriate, suddenly I can't actually pay to come here and speak to you anymore. My my digital currency won't even pay for the ticket because it will be known that I'm coming to speak to you. Sorry, your, your vouchers don't allow you to purchase that ticket to go and speak to Joe.
17: And this is where we get into the kind of censorship that we see in social media that is not – you can't have that kind of censorship with the First Amendment. In, in, in normal discourse, mm. but you can have that kind of censorship if you've developed a digital platform that distributes information, but it's a private company. Yeah. So think about what money is, where you can spend it, on, spend it on whatever you want versus this digital currency, which is essentially controlled in a, a sense. Yeah. Like you have free speech on Twitter, but you really don't because yeah. if you go too far or you talk about something that they don't find appropriate, they'll just ban your account that yeah. could be what we're looking at in terms of the what we think of as free speech being social media platforms could be what we think of as your free range ability to buy whatever you want with, with whatever, whatever money that you've earned
14: so what's going on here right what what's going on here is with this central banking digital currency if you get to if you get to that situation where you end up with the chinese social credit system in, in, the, in west, the west why why would anyone want to do that right I believe we're in a moment of the Gutenberg press. Go back to when the printing press was invented. Technology disrupts power structures. It always has. Printing and its invention was a new technology. What happened when they invented the printing press? The power structures who up until that point were reading the Bible for you and were telling you that you're going to pay this priest X amount of favors and he'll forgive you your sins. And that became right, which is what Martin Luther was so upset about when he pinned his thesis to the, to the wall. The printing press disrupted that power dynamic because people could read the bible for themselves and they began realizing that the power structures were manipulating what was written to control people now nobody in hindsight is going to argue that printing and its invention is a bad thing for humanity but at the time it led to war it led to the 30 years war in europe because it disrupted power so much that people began rising up and it led to this 30 year period of war which eventually led to the reformation and The rest is history. Right. What's today's Gutenberg press? The Internet, the decentralization of information. And then because of that, the decentralization of currency in the form of crypto is disrupting power because the way that after the revolution of the reformation, the printing press control was still possible, though, obviously not to that level, which is why we no longer have those absolute monarchies. But control in a nation state context was still possible to an extent because the money supply was controlled. Now, what's happening is that the invention of the Internet with the decentralization of information and in particular here, the decentralization of currency in the form of cryptocurrencies is disrupting those power hierarchies. And it's leading to this conflict now. And We're in a moment when the printing press was invented. The powers that be needed to try and hold on to that power as the 30 years war kicked off. They eventually lost it. But to hold on to it, they became very brutal because they were losing their grip on power. Today, to have the infrastructure in place that you can have a checkpoint Charlie society so that when the central banking digital currency are in place, that infrastructure is already there because people were so scared they voluntarily allowed you to put that in place so that you can maintain your grip on power because what's coming around the corner is the decentralization of everything of media therefore of narrative and of course remember whoever defines the truth gets to define reality decentralization of the economy through crypto you no longer have the power to define the story and control the money supply so the powers that be who are losing that power need to clamp down they're clamping down on their own children because we are people who are born of the west so it's an internal civil war in a hybrid war context over truth and over information centralization versus decentralization. It's no longer about left or right. It's about up versus down. It's about power versus those who don't
9: have power.
17: Do you think if there was no cryptocurrency, if there was no Bitcoin or any of the other crypto coins, that they would attempt to do some sort of digital currency? Do you think that this is a response to the understanding that that decentralized digital currency is eventually going to take over or has gained far more momentum than they ever anticipated? I think so and also decentralized media because you can't control the narrative right
14: now we will get out of this because ultimately it's a numbers game and ultimately in times like this you end up fighting against your own sons right it's those in power fighting their own people and eventually the people up by sheer numbers you know end up becoming the people in power right so in the long run we may well end up in a decentralized world which will be much better but as i say that to get there we have to get through this period of those in power attempting to, 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 hold on to that power.
1: Well, that was so beautifully put. And I had never heard that in at all until today. I skimmed through the video and I was like, okay, I want that one. Because I actually was going to play for you. And I will the two minute clip from the chancellor and it's important that people understand I've been sounding the alarm of the social credit system and how they were going to implement it. Yes, they want control. They want your money. But if you listen carefully, something that he missed, and something that I've been pushing and telling you to look at is who is really your government. So let me get his video up and let's listen to it together. And I'll pause. Um, just let me know if there's an echo if I try to do it like this. I want to know if there's an echo. Here we go.
13: Hey Under the UK's presidency, the group of the world's seven most advanced economies, the G7, is launching a set of public policy principles for retail central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Central bank digital currencies could be a digital version of money, a bit like a digital banknote that could be used alongside physical notes and coins. Unlike, Unlike most, of most of the digital, digital money people, people use day to day. day today,
1: okay, there was an echo for those of you on Rumble. So I'll start it again and have to swap screens. Here we go.
13: Today, I am proud to say that under the UK's presidency, the group of the world's seven most advanced economies, the G7, is launching a set of public policy principles for retail central bank digital currencies, CBDCs. Central bank digital currencies could be a digital virtual bank digital currencies of public policy principles for retail.
1: So the key word here is public set of public policy principles for retail, for retail. It's a central bank for retail. So Again, Twitch is a platform. I am a consumer. I'm using it to consume the services that they offer. But also, other people are consuming the stuff that I'm putting on there through the consumption of Twitch. So Twitch is making twice the money, um, charging you to pay or subscription or share, and they take a cut of it even though I'm producing it. That's the fee that I pay for the platform. So I'm a consumer. But I have been deemed not eligible to consume that good. I have been consumed not to be eligible for Twitter. I mean, you guys have seen the hit pieces. How many independent journalists have you seen in the New York Times so many times? Washington Post, Huffington, right? But I'm nobody. Again, they are showing you what they're doing. The censorship is because it's a problem of control. But what people forget is you may not call the name out. You may ignore it, you may smear it, but people can hear the truth in their gut when they hear it and they flock to it like a bitch. And right now we have been talking about the social credit system, the Chinese influence, and again, death rattles. These are your overlords. You know, Elon Musk tweeted out something today Which, by the way, someone desperate for money is constantly retweeting, uh, you know, um, Elon Musk, like they're going to pay them or something or maybe fund their fuck's sake. I need to stop. I'm just getting angry now. So anyway, he tweeted out, who do you trust more, politicians or billionaires? Well, that's a trick question, right? Because billionaires are the ones that fund the politicians and tell the politicians what to do. So, you know, it's got to be both because you can't function without the politician. You, You need the puppet to do what you want. And these currencies now are working hand in hand with the overlords, the politicians. So now Target will say, well, you know, Amanda, you know, this is, this is, Uh, you know, you're not allowed to do this. You didn't do your vaccine booster shot. And sorry, you can't come in the store and spend your money, but I need food. I can go get it tomorrow. It was closed. I was busy. Yeah. Sorry. You're just going to have to leave your cart. I'm sorry. But I came to get baby formula. Yeah, not happening. Bye. And then, you know, the example he gave, Hey Joe, I'll, won't be able to buy a ticket. Oh, so then someone will be like, someone else will buy it for you. What with your QR code and, and, and the ticket's going to be issued to him. Then you'll get a penalty. Why did you buy him a ticket if he wasn't eligible to purchase the ticket? Oh, and then there we go. Self-preservation. Hey, buddy, you know, I really want to help you, but I can't because I'm going to get punished too. You see how that works. This is how you control your slaves. You make them dependent on your system. And like he said, this is that moment. We can decentralize the fuck out of everything. We just have to stand up. We have to see things for what they are in the truth. And they have rewritten the past and they are really trying with broad strokes to paint the future. But unfortunately, there's some stupid thorns in their side, as they claim. Why do they keep saying that? And he's so excited about this. Hey, guys, these are your new invisible chains, right? Your new invisible chains. One day they will wake up and they will see their own by greedy, greedy monsters.
13: CBDCs. Central bank digital currencies could be a digital version of money, a bit like a digital banknote that could be used alongside physical notes and coins. Unlike most of the digital money people use daily today, it would be issued directly by a central bank like the Bank of England in the UK. And governments and central banks across the world are working together, looking into what having a digital currency might mean in practice. This includes issues that people care about, such as ensuring users' money would be safe and secure, that it could work with other ways to pay, would be energy efficient and available to everyone. A potential CBDC could offer businesses and consumers new ways to pay in the future. It's all part of the wider story of digital innovation that has delivered benefits to millions around the world and in the UK. The decision on whether to launch a central bank digital currency is for each country to make and no G7 jurisdiction has yet made that choice. These decisions raise important questions about the reshaping of our economy, financial systems, and the way in which people interact with money and payments. That's why working together and careful evaluation with our international partners is essential. In the UK earlier this year, I announced a new joint task force between the Treasury and the Bank of England to look into a potential CBDC as a complement to cash and bank deposits. We're also hearing from firms, technology experts and others. Under the leadership of the UK, this report today will help support and inform exploration of CBDCs in the G7 and beyond. With these principles, the G7 is leading an important step change in the global policy conversation. The report covers a range of important matters, such as financial stability, cyber resilience, energy efficiency, privacy, inclusion and tackling illicit finance these factors should all be considered when designing and potentially delivering a cbdc that would be fit for the future our shared objective is to ensure that cbdc's will be grounded in long-standing commitments to transparency the rule of law and sound economic governance the g7 will continue its work in this important area working with others to enhance understanding and use of these principles We're excited to be taking a leading role with G7 members in publishing this exploratory work, bringing money and finance into the
1: 21st century. Yeah, you mean 22nd, but okay. So there you go. Now, this technocracy, corporatocracy, right (laughs) (laughs) because they're kind of the same in this sense, because it's, yeah, we'll talk about that another time. The show has gone on pretty long. This shooting... These guns, these red flag laws are the beginning, and this is where we stand up. This is where we say no, and this is where we're just like, yeah, you can uh, do your own thing because it's not, it's not happening. We're not going to let it happen. We're not going to allow them to do this, right? We're going to fight, right? That's what I'm hoping to hear. And this is why you guys have organized digitally together as one voice in your state and in your cities and in your countries, because you can't let this happen. And you also know that if America falls, your nation also falls. And that's because Americans are supposed to be free. Because we're the only ones really free on paper. And that, that hurts for many to hear in other countries, but it is what it is. Imagine you have no guns and they've programmed, you've done something wrong and you're, you're a bad person. You are not allowed to have anything. You can't have anything because we said so. And so what do you do? They just deploy a little script and suddenly your money's gone. Your idea's gone. You're scrubbed. You can't get a job. You can't do anything because you don't have your QR code. Maybe a tattoo just to make it easy. This is where society is going and the shooting was important for them. Very important for them. And people are starting to see just how their own tax dollars have paid for all of that. That's terrible if you think about it. Because no one asked you, you've worked really hard for that tax money they took from you and they're funding shootings with kids. If that happened, of course. That's something to ponder on. So even though you may know that the shooting didn't happen the way they say, it's got to be BS, there's no way it happened, you know, everything is acting, let's pretend you're right. The problem is we can't make those statements because then we lose the argument. You are now considered a Conspiracy theorist, ask the right questions, use the right receipts. We have everything we need, and all we need to do is showcase it. In the courts, everywhere we can, we will showcase it so that the world can hear what real freedom is like, use their own words, use their own receipts, remove, disappoint, all of them. God bless everyone. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.